Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. Uh, it is Star Trek's edition ep- uh, number thirty, I believe. I'm Matthew. week thirty. I'm Judah. Um, again, every other week we're gonna do this is stupid Star Trek project where we compare where we compare the episodes in sequence of the five major series. So, we're about a sixth of the way done. Yeah, it's really. We're, I think we're getting there. I think we're about to. I think we're going to go over a hump here I mean, very we're, soon. We're definitely over 15% of the way done. And I think momentum's so, going to carry us the rest of the way. I think so. Yeah. Listen, this project is so stupid. It's the dumbest project. It's so ill-considered. <laughs> it's really and, the worst. And I proposed it as the worst idea that you could have for a podcast format. <laughs> but, you know, what do I got to do? And you jumped good. on it. That and we good. have been doing it. And, by the way, we've only been doing this like a, a year, probably a year and a half. And mm-hmm. we've done... 30 episodes, which means watching uh, 30 weeks, which means watching 150 episodes. Technically 154, because the first week we're all two-parters. It's tough work. Of Star Trek. And then talking about all of them and giving them scores on a rubric. Mm Mm-hmm. Woof. Oh yeah, there's been a lot lot of notes taken. A lot has been said. None of it should be remembered. And by the way, we didn't, when we came up with this rubric, if I had this to do again, I would do stuff where I could just hold a clicker in my hand mm. and click as I watched. That would be easier, yeah. Rather than because to you got to come up it. with a premise for these episodes, <clears throat> yeah. and sometimes that's the hardest part. Oh, yeah. We've each spent uh, <clears throat> a few times, we've spent several days trying to think of what a premise might be on a given episode, and sometimes failing. Yeah. Because of the so, work. So I thought that uh, what we did last week, where we. Uh, discussed them in reverse score order from the week before worked out at least in the case of whichever one went first because we i think we did do about 40 minutes on that voyager episode or whatever yeah so i think uh we're gonna stick with that so unless you have anything you want to say before we get started i do uh wieners this week we watched loud as a whisper I'm Reba. In... <laughs> I should have... Uh, why did I not put that clip in? <laughs> God damn it. <clears throat> I've gotten lazy with doing the intra-episode clips. Like, I haven't... I haven't clipped a dumb thing that Riker said in a while, and I think there have been opportunities that I've missed. Yeah, for... I mean, mostly the dialogue monster has kind of gone into hibernation, but every once in a while he pokes his head out. Yeah. See what's going on. The um the Enterprise is in the Ramadis system, mm, the Ramada picking up uh, a famous mediator named Riva, uh, and Picard is doing some amateur astronomy on his holo desk. <laughs> we'll talk about it, but I have no idea how that plays into the rest of the episode. 
Uh, yep. They They haven't figured out yet that he liked Shakespeare, I think is what it is. They want him to be excited about something, and that's cool, but they spend, like, that whole opening, he and Riker are looking at a holographic planetary model that where they discuss a mystery of how this planet's orbit is stable or whatever, and that never comes back. Uh, he's looking at it again at the end, but it doesn't... Nuts. It has no bearing on the plot. It doesn't reflect Picard's care. Picard's barely in this episode. That's true. Uh, but again, he did not direct it. Well, good. That's always my suspicion when someone's like not in an episode. They're, just they're randomly? But yeah. I, again, until we get to The Offspring, no TNG cast member is directing. All right, it's good to keep in mind. They gave old Frakes the first shot at it, probably because his character has become superfluous. Oh, we'll probably get to, like, DS9 episodes that Frakes directs before we get to a TNG episode, any of the it, cast. It could, well, it could well be, uh, and I just hope I'm paying attention to the credits, because otherwise I won't. Anyway. Sometimes you catch stuff in the credits that I just totally let pass. I'm not even watching the names go by or whatever. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they're getting ready to go down and meet him, and... Uh, Worf has some conflicted feelings about Riva because apparently he negotiated like a bunch of treaties between the Federation and the Klingons, and for some reason Worf's not a hundred percent on board with that. I don't know. Yeah. I guess Batris got not Batris shit. That was the name of the ship. You mean Chorus? Uh, Chorus. I be- I guess Chorus got to him. Yeah. Uh, they beam down to greet Riva, and uh, they discover his uh, one weird secret. <laughs> He is deaf and telepathic and speaks through a chorus of um, pretty fruity interpreters. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, these... pretty white. Yeah, they're very white. Let's be honest. Come on, Reba. Get your shit together. One of them looks like, but is a, in a real missed opportunity, uh, just isn't uh, Grand Negus Zek. What's that guy's name? Oh, Wallace, Wallace Shawn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we put Wallace Shawn in that little hat, that would have been great. That uh, real missed opportunity there would have been a <laughs> much way, earlier introduction of him into the series. I would have reused Okana as the as the sexy interpreter. As passion? Yeah. I, I don't know have. if I didn't catch any of their names. I would have just thrown him back out there and gone, what? What's the big deal? Lots of aliens yeah. like. Or, um... <sighs> I mean, it would have been cooler if passion was a lady. Yeah, maybe they should have flipped And him. can I recommend, um... Slim Doyle? Well, Slim Doyle would be a good choice, of course, but uh, I welcome this huge one. Oh, yeah, get her back. Can she keep the super fake uh, curly oh, yeah. wig? Whatever was going on with that thing. Well, it would it would go... Well, listen, that, the guy who's playing Passion now has big curly hair, so... That's true. They are kind of weird. He's got a lot of ringlets. The Edo outfits. Edo? Edo? What yeah, Sli- and by the way, if this show was like um, just a little worse, like if it was a PTEN show, Slim Doyle would have been back as uh, the woman who barely gets to talk in yeah. this episode. Yeah. Uh, so he's got three of these people, uh, one of whom is Logic, and that's uh, Wally Sean. Another good choice would have been... Um... Oh, God. Reginald Vell Johnson? Well, yes, sure. <laughs> Uh, Paul Giamatti was what I was going to say. Oh yeah, no, you know I can't, I can't commit to that. Yeah, well, it would have been rough, of course. He is, he's one of your least favorite people. He's a real problem for me. If we ever compile an enemies list, he'll be on it. I'm sure. Sometimes people are like, "Hey, man, what's your problem?" If I got a bad, bad look on my face, and I'm just like Paul Giamatti again. And then there's uh, Riva's sexy side, played by nobody. Yeah. But again, Akana would have been good, or. Um, Hell, like, let's foreshadow some some powerful guests. What about the guy who draws Beverly Crusher? 
Oh, uh, the the revolutionary, like your own George yeah, Washington. Yeah, 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 that guy. Yeah, maybe him, or, or I was going to say maybe Rogadanar. Put that guy in there. Rogadanar would be super good in this. Let's just get all the season three people in here. Let's just jump a season uh, ahead. Can we jump a season ahead, please? He's not He's not bitter enough to be Aladar Jerok, no, um, no. which is a shame because uh, be so far I have loved every appearance that guy's made. He'll never be Jatrell. It's Best guy part of that terrible day. episode. Actually, now that I think back, thinking of what Voyager's become, Jatrell actually wasn't that bad an episode. Huh? <laughs> yeah, they, well, yeah, it was the, like Neelix's backstory. They gave and, Neelix and too much. The actor who plays do. Neelix kind of carried it. Like It was too best. much for him, but he still did all right yeah yeah, yeah that's right Jatrell wasn't uh, so bad yeah Jatrell wasn't that bad huh yeah, the okay days. i'm i'm really this is gonna take a million yeah, years yeah all right let's just zip through it let's go <clears throat> so anyway he's got three of these old boys and uh there's a woman who's kind of the moderator she's the kind of the diplomat of the gang hmm. um don't it doesn't matter don't don't worry about these people uh they beam on up to the enterprise and then we have another round of introducing his gimmick um where he gets to uh, point out that uh, he has a disability just like Jordy. Yeah, yep. So uh, this is where we finally learn that Jordy's blind. Didn't come up last week. Finally. At all. <laughs> I'm uh, wondering what's up with that thing he wears. Meanwhile, in his passion persona, he's kind of shamelessly hitting on Troy the whole time. And ain't no kind of about it. It's shameless. It's extremely it's not, shameless and immediate. Immediate again, and shameless. Again, for better TV, it would be shameless. We will get to up the long ladder <laughs> at some point in this season. I don't know if that'll even happen in this calendar year, but at some point we will get to that. A lot and of that's... people in season two TNG flirting while on the job. Yep. A lot of on the job flirting. Uh, and um, as will happen in other episodes, for no reason, Troy is really coming around on it. Yeah. Yep. Um, they all leave the bridge and go to their separate quarters. Um so that they can immediately come back up for the briefing. Right. But I guess it gives Reva a chance to sort of be alone with Troy for one minute. For yeah. just like a one minute. Yeah, I feel like you're I just, really... I mean, just him and his sex man. You're dipping into the quick hitters here. Okay. <laughs> uh, that makes no sense. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yep. In the briefing, uh, Reva is the cool college professor on the first day of class. Because he tells them to throw their expensive textbooks away. Yep. He doesn't give a shit about the conflict that he's going to settle. Any of the specific uh, issues that they're arguing over. Any of the issues that these people who've been fighting for 500 years are fighting about. He His entire plan is he's just going to show up and continue to be excellent. Because he has <laughs> a perfect track record. Maybe, like, hack, hack that sack around a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Um... They arrive at the planet while uh, Troy and, and Reva are having a romantic dinner slash sign language class. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the aliens will speak to no one but Reva uh, just to give him a chance to show what a good diplomat he is and how much better he is at this than uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Right. So he gets them to stop shooting long enough to beam down and uh, starts arranging for an Ikea delivery of, like, where he wants the smarg table and the um flanging torches sure he's just he's calling up and giving orders to jordy and jordy i guess is going to replicate this shit they don't really explain where they come from right uh they got a the large props department on yep. board oh yeah it's probably for all those plays beverly crusher was always doing but now she's off the ship that's right 
No, they got nothing to do with all those things. Daryl, uh, yeah, we did Our Town last year, but we had weird stone tables for some reason, so we do actually have that. We asked Pulaski if she wanted to take over that aspect of Beverly's job as well, but uh, she was she, she was sleeping one off. Uh, four dangle aliens show up from the two warring factions, and one of them immediately has a Vietnam freakout <clears throat> yeah. and blasts Reva's entire chorus, and... Um, we get some of those great claymation stop motion remic from conspiracy disintegrations where they disintegrate in sort of slim good body order. Yeah. Where it's like skin, muscles, organs, and then finally just their bones going yeah. away. So that's pretty horrifying. Um, and uh, now Reva, I mean, they beam up and Reva's just in a big old mess. Because he can't talk without his chorus. Uh, he feels guilty about their deaths. He's going to call off the mission and go back home. Right. Um, also, none of them can... I guess he can read lips, which didn't really come up earlier. It's, well, he had to explain so many times about what his chorus did, so they didn't have time to talk about it. They didn't have time to say that, oh, by the way, when you talk, I'm not <laughs> getting telepathic messages from my chorus about what you're saying. They I don't hear for me, they directly. just speak for me, right. I guess that's why I shouted at you to speak only to me earlier. <laughs> that and that and that I'm a colossal asshole. Those are the two reasons. Also, I'm a that. big asshole for sure. Yeah. Uh, so they got to work on that. So Data goes off to learn sign language. Um, and Pulaski, I guess, takes a look off screen to see if she can fix his dang old ears, but that's no good. Yeah. Um, Data works out. Data just learns five different sign languages. And Seems kind of lazy. Which is a plot point that's added for no reason, because as soon as Reva starts talking, they just forget that part, and he just can understand Reva and talk back to him. So I guess he just immediately knew which one of the five it was, despite the fact that he'd seen and has a perfect memory of lots of Reva's signing. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yep. It's not a good show. No, not well thought out. I think it's the main um, but anyway, it doesn't matter the data can talk to him because he's still like really sulking pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, I guess Pulaski got inspired because now she's talking to Jordy about making him some fake eyes in the replicator. Yeah. That scene doesn't really affect the plot. No, it's just to um, show you that you, you, you're. Um, it's it's just in there for the take. Dis- we'll talk about the take. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. It's in go. there for the very obvious take of this episode. Mm hmm. Uh, Troy kind of shames Reva by announcing that she's going to attempt to settle the conflict on the planet. Yeah, did she get permission from Starfleet, or is this one of the many things that they do without Starfleet's permission? Uh, I don't think it was even real. I think the the whole thing was a goddamn lie, and if Reva had been like, good luck, uh, she would have just said, well, okay, that didn't work. I'm actually not going to go down there. I'm not going to go down there. Some people just got murdered. I ain't going down there. She got real lucky that Data didn't immediately turn to her and say, when did you request Captain Picard's permission? I've been with you for hours. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, he was pretty cool about that, wasn't he? Yeah, so I don't know if she told him, but you'd have to tell him, say nothing. Do nothing and say nothing, because you couldn't even just tell him, listen, I'm going (laughs) to lie to him, because he probably would uh, try to jump in and read a thesaurus entry to him or something. Yeah, and his ability to lie is like right up there with um, Big Nose on Running Man, just not able to pull it off. Yeah. But um, anyway, her little guilt trip works, and he starts to give her advice. But it turns out it was a fucking judo flip. Mm-hmm. 
because now he realized he can use his deafness to get the parties talking. Yes, he's going to make them learn sign language together. It'll take months, they say. Mm -hmm. And these aliens are definitely going to be patient about it. As you can see, by the way, the first meeting went. They were very patient. They waited six seconds before they committed murder. His buddy immediately threw him under the bus. Yeah. Uh, Reva beams back down and sets the table, and the Enterprise leaves him there with his plan and not much else, and uh, fucks off into the galaxy. Matthew, what was this episode about? Let me just say that's a real TOS ending to that episode. It really was. Just go, well, I assume Reva will work it out, but we'll never know. Actually, it wasn't. If it had been TOS, there would have... There would have been, like, a crew member we've never met before on the Enterprise, and they uh, would have stayed behind with Reba. Yeah, well, of course, because someone would have been passionately in love with him. It would have been Lieutenant oh, somebody been Troy, that we, but it that we never did hear of, but it couldn't have been Troy. Yeah, it right? would have been someone it, took, he would have been sexing up somebody on the ship. But then it would have been, like, a third episode in four weeks where uh, he didn't care about Troy, but as soon as he saw another woman, he was real into it. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of... I mean, we'll talk about it in the quick hitters, but I, I kind of wonder if uh, Troy insisted on this love angle or Based she was going to walk because she was fucking and, uh... she was fucking sick of this shit. Yeah. All you right. know, according to my pet theory. Matt, what's this episode about? Okay, uh, yeah, take two. Um, So I was going to go with the thing that is said that is very obvious where you got to turn your disadvantage into an advantage. Let me say it like a Skyrim character. Turn a disadvantage into an advantage into an advantage. I don't know how you'd say it. Um, But I went with in communication and especially in diplomacy. What matters most is finding something in common. Reba's communication with Troy in the nasty dinner scene. <laughs> At least he didn't touch her feet. <laughs> off, I'm sure off screen, off camera he did. Uh, I mean, they did five takes, but it didn't make the final. And his uh, work with the delegates after his chorus is killed. This is kind of how this guy gets around and gets his shit done, is by finding, making, like creating a common ground. Um, which is some helpful communication advice, but it is not what I would call a hot take. I gave it a five. What's the um, what's the common ground that he found with Troy during their sex dinner? Uh, they had to learn the sign language together. This is his trick. But they learned it by he just kept making the gestures until she said the right thing. Also, she was very sure that she had it right. And yeah, and she I made some. Was, wi- there were some wild leaps of logic I in there. Yes, he was she was along. super confident. I think yeah. she wasn't getting it right, but he was playing along because he wanted to get some. He wanted to get some of that. So he she, just, at one point, she just goes on a run about how important it is to uh, use words to communicate important sentiments, and he'd done, like, one wavy gesture with his hand. <laughs> yeah, he kept doing it over and over again. I think he was talking about the rain or something. He was actually singing Blame It on the Rain. Um, anyway, I don't... I don't um, I'm not going to talk any shit about uh, Reva's sign language, because that actor is actually deaf. Okay. So, presumably he was doing some, some signs. Okay, but also he found that wig in a dumpster. He did find that wig in a dumpster, and when he put it on, he <clears throat> became Reba McIntyre. Yeah, your friends are smart. <laughs> they're, 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 anyway, they're the new Bonnie and Clyde. That's right. Um, <clears throat> okay, so the, yes, you're right that the sign language dinner scene does foreshadow what the his dumb plan is with solution these. to the crisis. Yeah. Would have been great if Picard had uh, had come in instead of Troy. I know where the again. I don't usually try to solve the episode until we are in quick headers. Would have been great if Picard had come in instead of Troy and said, uh, "Well, here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to give uh, both sides access to Federation weapons. <laughs> we know it works from experience. Take a page right out of old Jameson's playbook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think this file was about? Was it about turning uh, a disadvantage into an advantage? I mean, I let him have it, but um, but yeah, here it is. I mean, you can turn your disadvantage into an advantage, too, if you're, like, unimaginably privileged in all other respects. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, Reva... Is some kind of they make They make a point of telling us very early on, is from his planet's ruling line. Yeah. Also, his chorus are servants... Yeah. For sure. And their ancestors served his ancestors. So what we're talking about I've heard of things like this. His um, incredible diplomacy 100% success rate is definitely propped up by slavery. Yeah. And also is the product of his idol gentleman's lifestyle yes Uh, yes. like he has had the time to devote himself to diplomacy because uh they don't they don't strictly say which one wipes his ass i'm 90 percent sure it's passion (laughs) well that's the one you'd want i guess yeah i feel like he does most of the intimate stuff you want someone yeah loving and um that you can really just trust so uh, it does. It does make the um, you can turn your disadvantage into an advantage stuff uh, ring a little hollow. I feel like I, you're getting don't worry an execution. About it I, it is still a five because I am giving them credit for this is done in 1990. Yeah, so. I, I was gonna say let's let's hand it to him in the execution and uh, in the take maybe let's yeah let's yeah, try yeah. our hardest not to be overcome by the stupidity of the things they write <laughs> um, and just try to focus on what they want us to come away with anyway this is why they throw the Jordy scenes in here too is yeah. to tie it together and uh they don't do an amazing job of explaining why Jordy is conflicted about the procedure because they introduce a bunch of stuff like there's no guarantees that this will happen and it's a one shot deal. You can't go back to the visor if I fuck this up. So it could be that he doesn't want to do it just cause it's kind of risky. This is uh, like a risky untested procedure uh, rather than just have it be about if I do this, I'll get the normal site that I've sort of always wanted, but I won't be able to tell if someone's an Android or, see if there are cracks in metal or all of the stuff that I use my visor for now that makes me different and you know sort of my the advantages that stem from my disadvantage so that yeah. again we're in take yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted I walked into take but I think that the Jordy stuff also means that they were actually trying to do disadvantage advantage here sure anyway it's a five for me I think it's a perfectly fine take yeah, by the way, what you're describing is Star Trek writing. Like, they yeah. uh, have put so many caveats into every situation that no one ever actually faces, like, a, a stark choice. Right. Nobody is actually ever put on the line of having to decide an important thing because there are so many outs written into the, the fucking story. Also, this whole episode takes place over the course of, I'm going to say, real-world five hours. It does seem pretty quick. So, like, they don't even give Jordy a time to sit with it. 
No, she like, th- fucking throws it onto his lap and then goes, so what do you think? A better order for this would be the Jordy conversation is the cold open. Mm-hmm. Like, or maybe it starts with the you cold mean open. You instead of that sweet 3D model of planets or whatever? Right. The cold open is he's working on something in engineering. Maybe they're trying to stretch the warp core so they can get to Ramadas faster to pick up Riva. <laughs> right. And he is suddenly overcome by pain and faints. And when we come back from credits, it's like, yeah, this happens every so often. My visor is very painful. Have you considered this treatment, etc.? Then he then he meets Riva. Yes. You're, then at you... the end, after Riva goes down there to do his disadvantage advantage thing, Jordy's back with her, and that's given him some reason to think about, you know, think more about whether he wants to do this or not. Yes, you have improved the episode and actually created a B plot, which there is not one in this episode really, unless right. we're supposed to believe Troy is, and it ties the two together. So yep. yes, you've you've made a better episode. Yeah, I think and it, it only be a took you episode. a little bit of thinking. Too bad <laughs> the people writing these episodes <laughs> weren't spending a little bit of time. And um, I mean, could nine-year-old me have done that same yes. math on this? I think so. Yes. I do believe so. So it is a shame I wasn't in the room again. Many of the things that yeah, we do come across new things every time we watch, and especially this time because we're watching so critically. But we were catching things when we were ten years old and going, "Uh, wait, why did that happen? That's really stupid." Well, well hang like, on though. Yeah, so I'm. Uh, it's not an amazing take for me because it's kind of. Um, I mean, it's not that it's cliche so much as it. If that's your whole take, I think you're ignoring. Also, you're making it kind of. I don't know cowardly if you're not out there maximizing whatever your particular disability is like it's a it's a very pat take and i think it doesn't doesn't give credit really to people who have a disability of some kind and are struggling with that that yes maybe there's a way that you can turn your disadvantage into an advantage but also you, you having a disadvantage like having one of these disabilities means that you have to spend so much more time and energy just coming up to baseline living than most yeah. people that maybe you don't have time to become like a great mediator or whatever. Yeah. You know I think, I mean? yes. And I think I gave more points than I ever expected to, to that DS nine episode about the lady overcoming the disability because of the, the surface effort that was put in by DS nine on that point, which uh, again, was... a real, a real token effort, but also we're, we are only five, maybe five years in the future from when this episode was made. So yeah. it is actually advancement. Yeah. It's like, they years. at least tackled it uh, kind of right. and said, look, here's what it might be like in the future for someone with a space disability or something in this one. You're right. They're just like, well, you know what? Why can't anyone out there with a, uh, with a problem like this can just have a chorus of dudes to talk for you. Yep. And if they go away, yeah, you'll still rock it. It's like okay, and you know it's also like, what if your disadvantage is migraines? Yeah, what if? What's the advantage that you're going to (laughs) work out of having migraines? You know what? Well, you know what the you know the advantage for me is I don't eat chocolate, and it doesn't go right to my hips because it's a (laughs) migraine trigger for me. So that's how I turn my disadvantage into an advantage. Yeah, I know when I'm when I'm crying in the dark. The problem I think is inside of me because that's what I should have been thinking during this episode. Is how right. can I turn my disadvantage? Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot you actually do get migraines. I have pro- I have a problem with migraines, and I should have been thinking how can I turn my disadvantage into an advantage. But I'm right. too cynical. 
that's why it's a five and not an eight or something, right? Because yeah. again, it, it's well-meaning, but yeah. it's not like they were. It's not even a straightforward well-meaning take. Like, hey, don't underestimate people who have a disability. They're yeah. going to surprise you because uh, this guy announced that. First of all, when they get there, they all know he's great. Yeah, for and some he reason, announced it at every opportunity. It's very strange to me how information travels in the future. They got this space internet. They all know about him and about his great accomplishments, but no one had ever no read one up enough about to know that he had a chorus that went with him everywhere and talked for him. And Listen, they were too busy working up a briefing uh, from the for the two people in that other system, probably because they knew they were only an hour away at warp eight. Yeah, or yeah. whatever. Right? Like, I don't think they spent a lot of time on this mission. Right. <laughs> uh, let's just run right into the execution since I've done most of it. Um, yeah, so... Oh, and by the way, the another thing is uh, he immediately re- becomes a helpless baby without the without his slaves. Super so. petulant. Yeah, and yeah. they're just not addressing that at all. Yeah. The, uh, the seduction of Troy goes nowhere, and it's irrelevant. <sighs> and horrible. Since the... The, it introduces the idea of sign language, but that was going to have to come up in the data plot. Yeah. So it doesn't even do any work. Unless it's, you know, oh, well, if this comes from Troy, maybe he doesn't want Troy to go down there and get blasted. But it's not out of altruism. It's when he realizes he had done been tricked that he goes down there. <laughs> yeah. So that could have come from Picard, too. So the whole, um, that seduction angle is nothing. And, um... They spend a lot of time, we lose a lot of time in this episode, explaining how his chorus works over and over again. Yeah, I feel like they filmed that a few different times, because I think the initial plan must have been to just pick the scene that worked best for that, and then they just did a whoopsie. And included all of it. Sometimes I write it down, but like, I feel like we were about 12 or 14 minutes into the episode before they beamed back up with the chorus, and then they did another round on the bridge. Yeah. So sometimes they don't knock out a full 42 minutes or whatever. A lot, a lot of time wasted there. So uh, I only gave it a three for execution. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I have, uh, Hey, pick, uh, pick like a protagonist that doesn't suck. Like that'd be a good first step. Cause this or make it be about how he sucks in some way. Like, <laughs> right. like if we're supposed be to be aware of it. this guy, he's... just be aware that he sucks. Yeah. Um, I already talked about, uh, my justification for the take. Uh, his communication with Troy is about uh, common feelings and ideas instead of language and his plan to work with the delegates by giving them a common journey, learning sign language, shows the same ideas, uh, and it ends well in a very TOS way, which we talked about. He's just going to squat on that planet and make these guys learn together, and eventually that'll be a bridge to peace. But he's such a gross turd. Yep. He's a very unsavory. He's like, one second after he sees Troy, he's just like fucking macking on her. Yeah, and they don't. By the way, they spend so much time talking about the chorus, and they don't address at all the possible angle that some of his success, like the the people in his chorus, have brains. Yep, and they are taking his thoughts and interpreting them, and maybe they're changing them. Yep. And how much of their success was due to the individuals? No, it's not. Don't, don't no, worry about it. It's not the in great there. Reba McIntyre. Not in there at all. Um, so I thought it did fine on the take and bad everywhere else, which, uh, I, I evened out as a five. Okay. So you're a little, you're a little more bully on this episode than me so far. I mean, just a little, we're two points off. Ben. Through the, through the upper half, Ben's with you though. Yeah. He's he, five and five. 
yes, that's correct. He had uh, he has a different take. Form of communication is not important, but it's vital for relationships or whatever. He needed those guys to sit down and talk to each other, I guess, is what the point is. I think that's how diplomacy works. And the uh, cool gimmick with the Greek-style chorus. Um, the, uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, there is some stuff there. Like, he needs them to... The trouble isn't getting them talking to each other. The trouble is getting them listening to each other. And that's how he, that's what he proposes he will be teaching them with the sign language is how to listen to each other. Yeah. Hey, hey I just thought of something. So um, did they really explain why he needed a different interpreter for each each emotion or whatever? They did not. They didn't like, even attempt it. Like a regular person doesn't need. You know what I mean? Like if they're just going to be yeah, saying it's... your words like they're your thoughts. What's the big deal? Oh, it's like a real, I mean, first of all, it's a real high sci-fi take, right? Yeah. Like, oh, we have these different aspects of our personality that we, as a metaphor, sometimes describe as being like the different people inside of us, mm-hmm. just like in the Curlinescus. <laughs> right, just um, like that. But instead of being, a, what, as in all sci-fi, what if the metaphor was actually real? Like, that's the laziest way to write a sci-fi novel, right? Yep. Because and that's there's what no they justification did. for it being real. It's and they're so comfortable with that with that sci-fi premise that they don't attempt to even explain why it makes sense that he has three interpreters and why not more than three. Yeah. One logic one he's got right brain, left brain, and I guess the I'm not I'm not gonna say the name of the thing that separates and integrates them in the brain because I don't remember how it's pronounced and I uh, don't wanna offend Marjon. With <laughs> sure. bad science. Now, do you remember the guy who made uh, all those cool Curlin Iskoses that Picard is so excited about? This is a master of Tarquan Hill. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the workshop of the master of Tarquan Hill. Yeah, we're not necessarily sure if it was him or an apprentice who made that particular one, but it definitely had all the hallmarks of that workshop. <clears throat> it's intact. Let me just say that about it. The table's not anymore, though, because Picard bonered right through it. Um, <laughs> he broke the hollow mechanism inside. <laughs> All right, let's do uh, the world building. Um, uh, yeah, where are you on world building for this? Some, as I flip back to my actual notes, they make a, they make a point of telling us that uh, the Starfleet orders are to transport only, no interference. I would say they don't do a great job of that, but they do their best, I guess. That's um, never a good sign, right? Well, that certainly for a, shows for that a mission like the trained uh, if, diplomat they have at the head of the Federation flagship is not supposed to interfere. That's yeah. If Ambassador Fox is coming on board and he has complete control of the mission, yeah. and Kirk only has control of the ship, or Jameson is on board and he has total command of all missions he's on as his standard rule, yeah. it's never it's never good about the person, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see these these dang old telepathic interpreters. Inbred gross people from Reba's planet rule in a dynastic line. Yuck. Uh, really seems like these uh, Starfleets have never even imagined sign language. Worf's mind is blown. Yeah, He's that's like, very bad. Uh, that's extremely bad. Silent communication? Like, what could you do with that in combat? It's like, well, you haven't been using that? <laughs> Picard can't even figure out how to describe it. He's like, it's like they have some kind of unspoken and you're just like oh my god like really nobody has ever gestured at anybody in the space future i have that in world building because i can't figure out what is happening um it's extremely bad for sure pulaski has regenerated somebody's optic nerve before twice actually um that's all i had i gave it the standard three points (laughs) 
I don't know why we, three is the average in world building. I think it's because no one ever attempts very much. And I think that's really what three. Um, a three is when they don't really do any harm with it. Yeah, but they don't try much, or they shoot for the moon, but they fuck it up. Sometimes they that's a three. Yeah, they made the effort, but it was a bad effort. Uh, well, I enjoy that you described it as standard because I also have a three for world building. <laughs> I just have noticed it over the last several weeks that when I don't really, I have some points, but they don't mean anything. It's just like I don't know. They they didn't do much. Uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, the peace between the Klingon and the Federations was negotiated over a series of treaties. Right. That's very sensible that that would happen. But, um, you know, sometimes you just talk about the Kittimer Accords or whatever, and that's that. Right. Uh, Klingons had no word for peacemaker. So I kind of wonder what word they came up with. Oh, I like, hope did it's... They... Did they English. do a do a mix them up, or did they just go clock to peacemaker? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, regrowing optic nerves is possible. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it does make sense because the doctor gave me a pill and I grew a new kidney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you know, I that guess matches that matches up. It doesn't seem that bad. Uh, replicators can make eyeballs and also tables. The replicator is um, it has many uses. Yeah. Oh, it's the clone pigs of TNG for sure. Yeah. As uh, a three, like you know, they didn't really. Again, no exploration of why Worf is conflict. Uh, all right, that speaks to characterization. Yeah, let's jump into characterization. Why don't you? Yeah, hit me with that? Char- characterization. I uh, gave as many as four points. Okay. So, uh, Worf is conflicted. We- covered that jordy is in constant pain apparently yeah i also have that in there would have been i was interesting sure but that, that never came up, up before yeah, exactly in this episode data can understand context clues <sighs> such as when reva says thank you and he goes thank you oh thank me he doesn't uh does he do any um thesaurus stuff in this episode i don't think he I thesaurizes at all okay uh, Troy manages to trick Reva out of his sulking, and that's the most useful she's been so far in season two. Yeah. And Picard really steps back and doesn't involve himself in the diplomacy aspects of this at all. Yep. And he's he's chastised for he's I don't know he's he's mad about being yelled at on his own bridge by those aliens. I think he's uh, he is following Starfleet's orders to a T. Probably to uh, he probably thinks it's going to blow up in their faces, and then he's going to have fucking yeah. carte blanche on the next mission. So, nothing awful. Real missed opportunity with Worf. Yeah. Data is always bad. Um, although, this this data makes more sense. Like, I feel like Data is only operating at a Siri level here. <laughs> yes. Don't, don't it's, to, it's not don't. like it's out of the realm of possibility. It's just, he is so inconsistent from episode to episode. I know you were trying to activate her, but it didn't work this time. <laughs> Siri, what's that good Chinese restaurant? <laughs> Thank God for this headset. Um, okay, yeah, so a four. All right, um, here's what I got. <clears throat> Riker is uncomfortable having Picard leading this mission in the beginning, even though the mission seems to just be to go down and look at those people. Yes, this and, is not the planet the war is on. And then beam them up. So that's what I, I couldn't really figure out what was happening with that. <laughs> Uh, after the briefing with Reba, where Reba's like, I don't need to know any things, Riker is giving his angry face. Not like a Tam Elbrun or a Rolaren angry face, but he's on his way. 
Yep. He's he's not liking how this is going. Even even when Reva sort of offers him a concession by making him be the one to say that it's become personal. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Reva reads the room there, and he's like, ah, Riker's pissed that I don't want his briefing. Yep. <laughs> so I'll say the files will show that it's about a piece of land or wealth. But we know, as he looks right at Riker, that that's not really what it's about, prompting Riker to say it's become personal. Yeah. He wanted but, to throw uh, Riker a bone there to get It didn't completely room. mollify him. Nope. <laughs> uh, hey, Troy, keep it cool. Why blow up Animal Wharf's spot in the transporter room when yep. she brings up that he is not on board with this mission? I'm like, what is that for? Why can't you just have that conversation with him in private if you're worried about it? This is Troy... Uh, meeting with Tasha Yar down on the planet and <laughs> you blowing, up her, me. blowing up her shit about Luton being so desirable. Like, kind of interesting to her. Yeah. And she should say, Troy, I'm from a rape planet. Of course I have weird feelings about this scenario. All of the feelings are weird inside of here. Where I grew up, this kind of thing happened. <laughs> That's right. This was modeled for me, so yes, I have some feelings about it. What's happening here, Troy? You're supposed to be a psychologist. Yep, that would have been a better response than you're supposed to be my friend. <clears throat> yep. Uh, and she is, for some reason, way into this gross bearded weirdo. She will not come around this fast on a guy until we meet Devon on a roll. Jesus. It's who uses much more advanced techniques than... Uh, oh, yeah. Lisa. Oh, man, he gets all over. The advanced techniques Devon on a roll uses are... Uh, oh, it's Counselor Troy again, and then rubbing his hands all over her face. Yep. And she gets wet. Not yeah, he's cool. working from a very advanced playbook. Reva just has a guy tell her how good looking she is all the time, <laughs> it's and it's... Shit, would that work? Like, if you just pointed at a dude, and the dude was like, you hot. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, oh. You think a lady would be like, oh, shit, he, t- he, that dude, he looked at that dude, and that dude said I was hot. <laughs> He's got the powers. Um, There's a there is a prearranged agreement here. And then I also had Ishi being really real when she says Starfleet has authorized her to play peacemaker on this planet. Uh, is this a guilt trip? If not, this is bananas. Uh, Troy gets the attaboy in the end. A private ready room attaboy. Yeah, what was that about, huh? Uh, I think I think you're right that there was a real life thing happening here. I think Marina Sirtis was like, hey, last year I was good. What happened? Why do you make Maurice? me stupid? And then why do you make all the guys want to sex everyone but me? Hey, Maurice, how come I'm dumb and ugly in this season? What's <laughs> the, um... I look exactly the same. What's the deal? Yep. Uh, Picard is very polite to read. Do you think it was like, hold on, do you think she was 29 in season one and Maurice Hurley found out she's 30 and now he's just like not into it? <laughs> it's gross. He's like, no, nah, though. He probably came to her and told her to wear a real uniform like the rest of the people. Let me look that theory up. Uh, let me go on here. Uh, Picard is very polite to Reba. He's like, hey, if you're done molesting the away team, there's an actual emergency. Thank you very, very much, and no offense intended, sir. On the bridge. Uh, and Picard gets his hands dirty a little bit, you know, just grabbing Reba by the scruffs and shouting at him. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, he does. He just grabs him by his little beard and yells in his face. He he does shout at a deaf man as if that's going to help. Speaking of which, would Picard condescendingly grab anybody but Data on the shoulders and physically turn them around and march them out of the room? Because I think he's got some android racism in him. 
Yeah, I can't imagine it, but you're right, he's definitely treating Data as not quite a full person there. <laughs> he just marches him out, just turns him around. <laughs> I mean, Data is probably definitely the most irritating member of his crew, so it might be that he ha did not start out this way. It's true, Picard has not met Broccoli yet. That's right. And he sort of doesn't really engage with Broccoli when he when it does come up. No, he makes the fatal error, though, by calling him Broccoli. Yep. And then he's embarrassed about it in a way that I wouldn't be. Like, and <laughs> well, by the oops. way, I'm easily embarrassed by the dumb things that I say. But that one, I'd just be like, yeah, yeah I said I Broccoli, but his name's Barkley. I get it. Yeah. Uh, did you look up how old Marina Sirtis was? Yeah, it turns out she was born in 55, so like... Ooh. It would have been 34-35 transition instead of 29-30. So maybe he oh, thought she was in her late 20s and then never and bothered found to look out. it up. Yeah, yeah when he became co-executive producer or whatever his title is this season, he uh, got into the personnel files or something. Yeah. Uh, Data is chuffed to be told he's unique, even though dude meant that as stupid old metal bucket with hair. Yep. <laughs> Because he does not like him later in the episode. He calls him a piece of machinery or whatever. He says Data is a fine machine, yeah. but... Uh, Jordy gets real handsy with Reba, which is a shame because up to that point in that scene, he's acting better than the other members of the crew. In this, like it, the actual acting by Lavar Burton is better in that scene. Yeah, he's like a little bit. He's a little bit excited. Yeah, to meet the only other disabled person in the universe. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, might have already come up. I couldn't tell, but Jordy lives with some kind of chronic pain as a result of the less than ideal visor adaptability. Um, yep. wasn't a bad scene in sickbay where he's given some hope of being normal and has to decide if that's what he really wants. I bet his pain is just because the part that sits on his nose isn't padded, though. <laughs> yeah, they never tell you where the pain is. It's just right up there on the bridge. I'm just looking for some kind of foam. You got, you don't got that, huh? Okay, cool. No, you don't got foam down here? Got the replicator can make me a new eye, but I can't put a little foam patch on that thing. Uh, hey, Pulaski's in this episode, but only to make it very clear she's passing the buck. I can't do anything. Yep. Okay, then go back to the bar where we found you. Yeah, it was a really useful scene. Like, they were... Someone's gonna be like, I don't know, can't Pulaski fix his hereditary deafness? <laughs> so they put it in there where she just straight up goes, I can't do anything. And you go... You're just so not necessary for this scene. Yeah. Uh, I gave it a... F I, gave, <laughs> I gave it a four. Okay. So actually, aside from the... Um, Slight difference in our execution scores. We're perfectly in sync here, but uh, Ben, uh, Ben has fives all across the board on this one. Give us straight fives. Um. So he, I guess, he, so some of the work he liked in world building, he liked to see Worf visually clear the area when they where they beam down, despite the fact that the scanner said it was clear. Mm -hmm. Um. Again, they are just beaming down to pick up a diplomat. I didn't. I just afterward, I was the, thinking that about whole it, I was mission. Like, what that is whole this? that whole part of the mission is taken is, is way too suspenseful, and it doesn't make sense. Is Ramadis? I mean, I guess it's not in the Federation, right? I guess presumably it's not a Federation planet. Yeah, but still, because they Federation probably not cool with slavery they're that not. definitely exists on this planet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That might be one of the problems. Uh, yeah, they are not clear why it, it is not safe for Picard to go down, according to Riker, or why Worf is there to fucking clear the area for fucking hostiles or whatever. Uh, it, it seemed like he gave a lot of points to world building for the set and costume and makeup design here. I would have done that in execution, but that's... Oh. It does not matter. 
And then and a five for characterization and why? Uh, let's see. He likes uh, uh, Picard takes control of Riva's freak out firmly but compassionately. Um, and uh, he asks if this is the first time we've seen Jordy's gross milk eyes, and the answer is, of course, no. No. <laughs> no, they gave us that um, pretty early. Yeah. First of all, he loses his visor on um, Skin of Evil, so that yep. the, uh, that's the first one that I could think of. But Vicious we... Animal Things, Wyke Riker puts his CGI hand over his face or whatever. Oh, and, that's right, uh, and gives him real eyes for a minute. Real eyeballs for a gives second. him his reading rainbows back. Yeah, <laughs> he does. I like that. He's got good eyes. It's kind of a shame. Yeah. Um. I no. I think uh, probably if you go all the way back to Encounter at Farpoint, there's some scene where uh, Beverly's like scanning his eyes or something. Will they explain what his visor is? I'm sure it's they like do some setup where you see his milky contacts right away. Yep. Uh, since you're not doing the math yet, Landrew's doing the math because it is all powerful. Um, yes. I, I you can listen while I do some super good. Uh, quick hitters. Yeah, if you didn't have any on loud as a whisper, I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Um. What is this weird? Oh, we already talked about this. The weird moment with Picard, Riker, and the hologram of the planets. What does it add to anything? They don't even do any character work. It's just like they both look curious about it. That's yep. it. Damn, Reba, be professional for a regular space minute. Yep. <laughs> Drooling within moments of seeing Troy in her like damn old deep V. Yeah, you know why? Because he's like a fucking little prince on this planet, mm-hmm. and no one's ever called him on anything. Uh, why did he even need to bring the Anarchy of Lust to this meeting? Yeah. Because he can't pass up an opportunity to aggressively harass a lady? The Anarchy of Lust. He did describe that guy as the Anarchy of Lust. That guy probably doesn't need to come to this By planet. By which I mean, that guy described himself as the Anarchy of Lust, <laughs> while Reva looked at him. He probably enjoys describing himself that way. That's what's wild about that scene, is that, yes, in the show, Reva is describing him as that, but that actor is just saying that about himself. Yeah. He's probably like, my career is about to take off. I want to get cast as so many things because I'm the anarchy of lust. The 80s were just wild, huh? Like, every good guy on Star Trek is also a disgusting pig. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of the time TNG is even worse about this than TOS is. I don't know if it's because, like, attitudes had improved slightly toward women, but it was also okay to be way grosser on TV. Yeah. Like, they had no decorum. So you yeah, can just is, go on the this TV is true. And sex ladies like, like crazy. Kirk might hold a woman by the wrists in a way that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. But you can get wild in uh, 1989, 1990. Yeah, dude. O'Connor came on and he was just banging chicks in like uh, old robes and stuff. Like, uh, like uh, bathrobes. We, we all agree that the, uh, the sexiest moment in the original series... Is the lady robot yeah, that Kirk wearing, makes love to in her jumpsuit? Overalls, yeah, that's a good stuff. smash. Smash forward to Justice, <laughs> where everybody is wearing half of that jumpsuit, and they and talk about oily. how sex is very like exercise, very oily. And I welcome this huge one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded way grosser over your recording mechanism. <laughs> yep. Oh uh, well, yeah, because I got kind of a weird warped version of it. <laughs> yeah. It did sound grosser. Anyway, I just it's just like, ah, God, every week it's the same fucking thing. Like, let's, let's try to keep it clean a little bit, guys. Um, I gotta say, if Reba counted toward characterization, I would have given it a zero. 
Yeah, like, well, he doesn't. This asshole just waltzes in and tells everyone he has no interest in learning about the conflict in any way. He gets it. People are fighting. Blah, blah. I would have slapped this old boy. That's some fucking Trump-level shit right there. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to spoil it, but this is kind of a week about characters not being redeemed at the end, and I don't feel like he learned a damn thing. No, in the end, he's just like, I came up with a cool idea. I really think what turned him around at the end is that he he was so excited about being smart enough to see through Troy's trick that he decided to help out. <laughs> that's right. I think that's what turned him around. Not even that he saw the logic of her case, but he's just like, yeah, I am. I am smart. I'm I can do this. doing pretty good. And I'm going to do really good when I go down there. I'm going to crush yeah. it. I'm, I remain excellent. Uh, when Troy finds out this guy can speak and this is all a long con, she's going to be like, you know what? She's probably going to be even more turned on. She's such a fucking yeah. loser. Um, Oh, this is like a weird Cyrano de Bergerac where the guy just does it out loud in front of you? <laughs> yes. Where you just stand there quietly. Uh, that one guy was so eager to kill. He was six seconds into Reba's opening and just started shouting, No, no, no! And blasting away. Yep. That dude brought the wrong friend to that meeting. Yeah. Like, 100% committed to murdering somebody at that meeting. Uh, like, if you're the leader of this faction... Do you bring your weird old right-hand man war buddy, or do you bring, like, someone else who might have something to contribute in a diplomatic situation? Because well, it seems like this guy made a bad choice. He definitely, definitely. Like you said, he throws him under the bus afterward, but it's a little late. It is too late. Uh, Reba just weighed in on uh, Data status as a person. His verdict is machine. Yep. That's the verdict. Uh, I stopped taking quick hitters at that point. That's okay, uh... We haven't had the, any legal rulings on data status yet, although it is noted in his file that he is alive. Uh, but we will get there. We will definitely get there. And let me tell you, things are going to get scary because one of the lawyers in this episode's really good. Yep. He almost wins, and it's scary. <laughs> uh, quick hitters, quick hitters. Oh, cluck, 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 number one, <sighs> says Picard. And, and by the way, Riker fittingly says, what? What? Because, like, <laughs> seriously, what? What the hell? You're being a mother hen. Okay. Definitely throw that metaphor in that you need one character to explain to another. That Everyone's going to love that. Ah, <laughs> uh, Troy putting Worf on blast for his conflicted feelings. Mm. Poor O'Brien looks really dumpy in profile in this transporter room. It's shot at, like, from waist height, and he is dead side on. So he's got a big old Irish potato belly in the tightest spandex. It's very sad. We will talk in DS9 about how old O'Brien is supposed to be. And I... Oh, oh God. I will say in that episode, I have in my notes that I did not want to look up how old Colmini was, but the number didn't seem realistic. <laughs> it's not right. It didn't seem like it could be correct, just based on how O'Brien looks. Oh, God. I'll just put in the DS9 episode, they say he's 38, and I went, wait a minute. Dex announces he can't possibly be a day over 38, but here's the thing about that. Dex is hundreds of years old. Oh, maybe she just don't know. And then maybe it's just like, I can't really tell the different ages of different um, kids. So if it's not a fact, then maybe he's just whatever. Maybe he's... Uh, He's two years older than uh, uh, Marina Sirtis. No No way. Yeah. No way, he's, though. He's two years older. So he's then 64 now. I assume now. the first time we saw Colmini, he was like 40-something. <laughs> no, he would have been. 
Well, look, he would have been 36 when the oh, next okay. gen in his first appearance as. Uh, well, then I don't buy him as 38 in that DS9 episode anyway. Battle Battlebridge Helmsman. Yes. So he probably was probably uh, probably around 42 or 43. So they when they talked him back to 38, they I mean that's just regular TV math. I think I don't yeah. even think that was that outrageous. He just uh, looks he, older than he is. Yes, that's like getting uh, the guy who played Coast and Larry to, to play someone just out of college. I mean, yeah, kind and of. You just go wait, 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 fresh twenty-two-year-old college student. Guys, we're going with Mark Lynn Baker. Okay, that's right. He was. I don't know what's more shocking that they picked him to play a twenty-two-year-old, or that in real life he was only twenty-nine because he yeah. looked like he was forty-six. It's rough. It was fucking weird. Anyway, um, they cut to the credits on an empty room. After they beam down, it's just like empty, and they're just like, "All right, credits." That seems like a bad choice. <laughs> yep. I love how Riva's um, whole look is. What if I wore two different kinds of curtains? I actually love that that look right down to his white loafers. I'm kind of into it. That is the look of the ruling class of uh, Ramada Three. That's a guy who's so rich that when you see his crazy outfit, you're like, "He must know something I don't." He's got all the money. He's fucking Richard Richard fucking Branson or whatever. That guy is. Uh, that guy looks so rich. He's probably deaf by heredity. <laughs> that is the, probably the has new hereditary deafness of wealth. Uh, of course, he's from the planet's ruling line. They don't show them beam back up, and I think it's because the transporter pad only has six slots. But they beam seven people up. They don't want to see how sad it is when they have to do two runs. Right. Yeah. Uh, no one told Riva this trip was going to take one Earth hour. And he was really looking forward to banging it out with Troy for like two weeks on the way there on like a slow cruise. They had a 20 minute dinner and then it was right time to go right into the briefing. In the middle of dinner, like when they leave the conference room and he and she says, I have a dinner to attend or whatever. Picard doesn't say we're eight minutes from the planet. Uh, make it quick. Are you going to have like a sub, like a Subway sandwich? I mean, get a six inch. You're not going to have time to eat 12. You can't, uh, don't, Dan, don't get one that's toasted because you got to wait for the little microwave. I do think that the 40 minutes they spend in each other's company is an all-time Troy seduction record, though. I mean, maybe. It, like, time passes in the price, or whatever that episode is. I guess I'm just wondering, are we counting from the moment when we think she's all in? Because she might be all in on Devin on Rawl. She might be all in on him faster, even if she doesn't get a chance to act on it or something. Because... He messes her up good. I guess. Look, unfortunately, we will have to talk about that episode at some point. No part of it makes sense. It was very difficult to watch. Does it get a zero for oily feet? I just, I don't know what the standard. Anyway, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it later. Let me be the third person to express incredulity that Worf has never thought of hand signals before. (laughs) Oh, does Ben have that too? I think that he might have been better at fixing sensors and he got this security job because of racism oh yeah oh the klingon he should be good at this also he did like to shout for battle come to me but that's true um but uh, that's like racism. if i said for uh home runs come to me and then you put me out on the field and i couldn't hit any home runs lower i mean kind of it's sort of like that just because yeah. i said it doesn't mean it's true I don't think he's done a good security thing since he's some... But again, I th- I think it was sensors the time that he programmed the Enterprise to think there was a Romulan Warbird coming in. Oh, uh, yeah. In uh, peak performance. Has that happened yet? That uh, has not happened that yet. But happened, it yeah. will happen. 
Klingon guy. Um, again, that's not a security skill. That's a sensor skill. He should have been the sensors officer. Damn, that's too bad. If only Yar had lived. I don't remember why I wrote this, but I think it's true. Reva, like V'ger, is a child. <laughs> well, he acts like a fucking little bitch when he gets up there and his chorus has been wiped. And I already expressed my theory that the little thank you to Troy at the end is so conspicuous that she must have complained about how the season was going for her. Yeah. I give Best Actor to Jordy and uh, Worst Actor to Passion. <laughs> but he's the Anarchy of Lust! Yeah, I, sh- I wish I'd remembered that when I was naming him. <laughs> um, I agree about Jordy. Again, I-, I felt like he was good in both of his scenes. And then I just wondered, why, why isn't this? Just do a Jordy episode. Like, fuck this other shit. Matt, our shit done backfired. We talked for a full hour about Loud as a Whisper. Big deal. I got an hour each on all the other episodes. All right. We're doing a five-hour pod. Well, there are four more to watch. We'll do the scores at the end. Um, oh, I guess, I, did Ben have anything in his quick hitters that uh, we want to talk about here? Uh, let's take a look. Hmm. He doesn't like episodes where the main character isn't really a crew member. I don't really either. Well, I find it hard to I hope, judge. Though. I hope you enjoyed Deep Space Nine this week because <laughs> uh, that's not the episode we're talking about next. This no, week dude. we watched A Night in Sick Bay. Yeah, uh. yeah make that guitar sing. Ah, uh. uh, boy. Okay. Hey, uh, we see the Archer and company coming back from the planet of the Cretaceans. Is that what they're called? That mm-hmm. these, were these the are the guys... people who didn't like when they ate in front of them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. These are the guys who were offended many episodes ago now when they did an eating in front of them, which because they consider that intimate or sexual or in some way. Uh, so they found it to be um, unnecessary. Um, anyway, but they've offended them again. They've done pissed him off, and they don't know how, but Archer's real upset about it. Yeah, he brought his stupid dog on the uh, on the mission, and they're all in the sexy decontamination chamber, rubbing all the, the goo on each other. Not all of them. It's, uh, okay. it's Archer, who's rubbing goo on his dog, and T-Pole and Hoshi. <laughs> and yeah, T-Pole and Hoshi. And, because uh, they remembered that they had that sexy de- decontamination chamber they gotta use. Um... Anyway, uh, they find out that uh, the dog got some kind of contaminant, some kind of uh, fucking virus or something from the planet. So Phlox has got to check out the dog, but the rest of them are free to go. Anyway, it turns out the dog's got like alien cancer or whatever. And um, uh, literally Archer decides to like move down to sickbay and sleep there while Phlox works on the dog, uh, who in this episode, I believe I named the Duke of Buckingham. (laughs) because <laughs> I'm really running out of Dumas characters. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've, you've used them all. Uh, anyway, um, while he's down there, he keeps getting reports from the bridge about how pissed off these Kratosians are. Kratosians? Kratosians? Yeah, it's Krasarians. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, they're Krasarin, right? I don't know, I don't remember. Whatever Shit. they are, uh, trying to figure out what it no, is. No, wait, that... I've got Kretosin later. Listen, I've got it both ways in my notes, so whatever. Uh, he's trying to figure out what the hell pissed him off this time, because they're easily offended. Uh, turns um, out his dog done gone and peed on their uh, their fancy trees. Their fancy. You know, it's, a, it's interesting that you say that, because he's not trying to figure out what pissed him off. He assumes they'll tell him later. 
He makes no effort to think back about what might have happened, like, did a dog pee on any sacred trees? Yeah, uh, you know, like, at Auburn, they got Tumor's Corner, and they got those, they got those fancy trees that, like, some Alabama fan set on fire or something, or he poisoned them. He poisoned them years ago. I know Uh, everything about the campus of the University of Auburn. (laughs) This is how I learn about everything, is through college football. Um, So anyway, his dog... Uh, peed on their fancy spiritual trees or whatever, and they're real pissed off about it. Um, but he's really more pissed off at them because they didn't uh, figure out that his dog would catch the AIDS or whatever down on the planet. But I guess it turns out what he's really pissed about, because when he spends the night down in sickbay with flocks, they do a lot of deep conversation, psychological stuff. And flocks decides that he must be uh, like backed up like sexually frustrated <laughs> yep and uh in particular uh having to do with t-pole that he's got a uh, uh some sexual tension with t-pole and that's why he's always yelling at her and that's why they can't agree on the his behavior with the kratosans um and he has a nasty sex dream which i'm not into with t-pole <laughs> Yep, back in that decon chamber. Yeah, he dreams about doing the sex in the chamber, which I think everyone who's been in there has probably dreamed about doing sex in there because you just strip down and rub each other with oils. There is one and only one good thing to say about the sex dream is that in the sex dream, Hoshi leaves and she takes the dog. Thank God. Thank God. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, he and Phlox do some bonding and then he discovers that maybe Phlox is right. Maybe he's got a thing for T-Pole and that's why he's... uh, so aggress- aggressive with her, gosh, and um, <laughs> and that he's gonna do he's gonna do better about it in the future. And uh, he does all the apologies that the Kratosans need, and they're so happy they give him uh, an extra plasma injector because I forgot to say that's the reason they were there in the first place was <laughs> to pick up a plasma injector for the ship because they didn't have enough of them anymore or something. Uh, anyway, what was this thing about? Um, as you know. Often my first take on a bad episode is cynical. Mm-hmm. And usually over time, I will think of a non-cynical take for it. Yeah. This is not one of those times. This is Even the one... if your yeah, natural but... instinct is to be an asshole, you can still use your intellect to decide not to be. Mm-hmm. That is the one that you sent me earlier in the week. The I mean, other yeah. possible take is worse. So we'll talk about that. No, let's talk about it now. It is possible that what you can take away from this dumb episode is it is impossible for men and women to work together without the borderline sexual harassment. If you are listening to what the people in the show are saying, then yes, that is what you will take away because they say it with their mouths because T-Pole even says it. He says it out loud in the big end of episode redeeming apology scene. Yeah. And she's like, I agree well, 100%. It's a, it's a good thing we're not allowed to act on it, right? Yeah. And that is such a fucked take. Yeah. So, so first of all, it's um, it's not true. Yeah, right? It's not true? Yeah, I've, I've worked with so many women. That's right. And I've never sexually harassed or yelled at them because I wanted to fuck them, like any, like any of the ladies. Yeah, and... um. 
like plenty of the women that I've worked with have been attractive. And you know what? Never been an issue. Yeah. Not remotely been an issue. And the, like, the dumb symptoms that happen to people in TV are not real. Yeah. He says breast instead of best. Yeah, this show gets real wild. Uh, we've talked about it before. Like, accidentally, she falls and her boobs hit him in the face. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, this show's not afraid to just go to that place, which is the worst place. The place where he yeah. accidentally says, give me your lips instead of it's not. It's not realistic at all. And also, if he got, if he has feelings for her, by the way, Flox gave him the right advice. Don't do anything. Don't yeah. talk to her about it. Yeah. Just know that, just recognize that you have these feelings. But instead, at the end, and again, what is supposed to be the redemptive scene, he definitely mentions it to her, which could only make her uncomfortable. Yep. If she, like, again, because the the show is the dumbest and the worst, for some reason, she, it is implied, has some (laughs) attraction to this adult baby. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely trying to ramp up the some romantic stuff because they know they ain't got nothing going on. So they're trying to just fake juice it. They're like, Oh, but what if there's a romance? Like, will they, won't they kind of thing. And that's not, that's not a good direction to go in. Yeah. Don't yeah, go in. That it direction. sucks. That sucks very badly. You're right. He totally does not listen to Phlox at all. He doesn't listen to Phlox <laughs> who is giving him the correct advice. Be aware that it might be causing you to act differently. Yeah. So that don't act bring it up. Yeah. Don't bring it up. Yes. Use again, use your brain. Yep. To decide what to do instead of your uh, dumb spinal cord, which is where Archer mostly lives. He's mostly spinal cord. Yeah, I had a very similar version, so I cannot complain about your take. Anyway, I gave it two points for the take. Because I also gave it a two, and mine is self-awareness is like a really good thing. Yeah. That's the take. (laughs) So fuck what? Like, so what? At this point, let's check in with Ben. He gave it one point. Apologizing takes a level of emotional maturity that apparently a starship captain cannot be expected to attain prior to taking command. (laughs) This can't be the take, but then what is it? Yeah. Yeah, the take is Archer's the worst. This is a really bad show, and this was a bad episode of this show. This is a bad episode of a bad show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can jump into that. let's, let's, Let's have it. What is the execution? Uh, Archer sucks so hard that it overshadows anything that might be good about the show or this episode, is the first line of what I have here. Um, (laughs) That's right. But don't worry, there's not much good going on here. It was so distracting, I couldn't even think about what the take might be during the episode. I was just sitting there wondering what the writer's goal was with him. Like, why do they want us to think he's so awful? Yeah. But, if anybody could use this message about self-awareness, it's Archer, the galaxy's biggest bitch. I just don't get the feeling that this awareness uh, of one aspect of his own subconscious is going to make a difference. Like, the problem is not within the character, it's within the writers. Um, I gave it a three for trying to say a thing that made sense and would help the character. I just, I don't have confidence that it's going to take. Well, that feels generous, frankly. I just, I, that was the right, you're right, Fox gave the right advice. If that is the message, that is the right message in particular for Archer, who is shit it's just you know what what does it mean yeah again you're not entitled to make your emotional problems somebody else's business to deal with agreed but archer only knows that one way (laughs) yes (laughs) and here is the thing like if 
he is supposed to suddenly understand that because Flocks told him? What about the 50 times already that T-Paul has told him, your problem is your weird dad issues? Yeah. Well, and he has not improved on his weird dad issues. You know, it doesn't help to hear that from a Vulcan because that's part of his dad issues. I mean, that's true. <laughs> he needs to hear that from somebody else. But Trips just but such what, a turd. But what if she's it. real sexy and always has ping? Because <sighs> of her fucking gunboats that she's <laughs> yes. got up there. Because she didn't go to the good surgeon. No. Hers was some of that early boob job work that wasn't so good. Okay, so all right. dive uh, in. All right. I don't get it. How are we supposed to not hate Archer after this? <laughs> we both have the same thing. He's shitty full-time, bad at his job, right. and takes the first step down the road to sexually harassing his second-in-command. Yeah. The fact that he follows an apology walkthrough and we have to see him checking the fucking game facts to do it and says he's sorry is all the redemption we get. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. um... Also, negative two points for a sex dream. Well, yes. Also, gross toenail work. Yeah, Flox has got some nasty old toenails. And we've seen the joke of someone cutting their bad toenails with an electric um, carving knife before. Lister does it in Red Dwarf when he comes out of suspended animation at the start of season six. Yeah, that's true. We've seen that gag. Zero points. <laughs> and I'm not even going to say that it necessarily would have been a two without the sex dream. It's true. It might have been a one or a zero. You're not comfortable giving negative dream. points. So you I'm not going to go negative, but... It might have zeroed out before the deductions. Yeah. yeah. No points. Yeah. I mean... This ruins Archer. And Archer was a bad character already. So, okay, so Archer sucked and sucked and sucked and sucked. And then toward the end of season one, there was like a couple episodes where it seemed like maybe they were trying to let him know that he sucked. Like, where I mean, he it, was, it was a little bit like they asked, what if he didn't suck, though? Yeah, they were like, oh, he's going to run into an alien who th- thinks he's got a cool reputation for being a hero. And he's going to involve him in his thing. And now he realizes there's consequences to the shit he's doing. And Archer talks about it. He's like, oh, I guess there are consequences to some of the stupid-ass plans that never would have worked that I came up with. And you're like, okay, so maybe this is going to go somewhere. Maybe Archer's going to, like, improve. Except I'd already seen the show, and I knew that wasn't going to happen. But it did not, and it will not. Yeah. World building. Well, let's see what Ben Hedfrick's All right, let's check it out, We already did his take. Um, He did not like uh, that the dream sequence was filmed exactly the same as a normal sequence. He, I think he says that he thinks they were trying to fool them into thinking it was reality. Uh, he doesn't think they were trying to. I think he thinks it's uh, bad cinematography. Right, right, right. That right. looks like they're trying to fool us, but it, that couldn't have been their intention. And that he can't take another scene with Ar- of Archer with his shirt off. Too bad for you, because that's never going away. Look, I mean, Archer looks fine with his shirt off, and it's kind of refreshing because this show's 15 years old to see someone with chest hair. That's true. Yeah. They still were allowed to do that. I assume that'll come around. Uh, porn stars have pubic hair again. It's all cyclical. That's right. The body hair cycle, uh, which you learn yeah. about in like health and sex ed. I, I think, think so. Yeah. All right. Now, what do you uh, and he says world? he doesn't think the word friction's ever been so gross. It's inherently a gross word. It doesn't. If you're good. using it in any context other than actual physics, it, all metaphorical uses of friction are gross. I agree. Agreed. World building. Do it. The Enterprise needs five plasma injectors. What I'm really talking about here is at least there's some concept of an engineering safety margin. And 
not everyone all the time is like trying to do this by the seat of their pants. Right, because they need four to run. They need four to run, and Trip is not comfortable operating with no backup this far from Jupiter Station. Well, we've already seen it take some 10 million years to get back or whatever. When these aliens, who they have mildly offended in the last episode, can have these things. Yeah, right. Pilarian slips is what Dr. Phlox refers to Freudian slips as. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's some other psychoanalyst maybe on Denobulus. Is it Denobulus or Denobula? Probably in a, probably ends in an A. Yeah. Uh, named Pilar, who uh, came up with the same idea. Yeah. And uh, the Enterprise carries a chainsaw. Otherwise, there's really not much world building. I gave it one point. Oh, man. You know what? I hated this episode, and I think that affected this score. <laughs> I actually think that that little Pete. No, but see, Archer dismisses the safety culture. Well, he still sucks. But he sucks. He He's still, still the worst. Yeah. All right. I, all right. Okay. All right. Split it's the points. It's a three point. It's a three point world building. <laughs> I have three as well. I, I also had the ship runs on four plasma injectors. You'd want an extra. Something happens when you only have three, but they weren't specific. He just says, you know what happens if you only have three when you go to warp, and then Archer just dismisses it, so I don't know what happens. Right. Um, but it, we, I, we're, we are to assume it's not good. Yeah. Uh, is Hoshi always on night shift, or just because they're around these aliens? Because she it actually seems like if he night. were. It seems like if you were down a plasma injector, you just wouldn't be able to go to warp. Like, you just can't get enough plasma in there. That's what, I don't know. That's what I would think, but he seemed to indicate there was something worse. Yeah. Um. And then, again, Hoshi's up all night and doesn't seem like it's a big deal to her. Yeah. Like, the whole time uh, whiny little baby Archer is trying to get naps here and there, she's just kind of hanging out. So, maybe she does night shift a lot? I don't know. Yeah, it could be. We don't really have any understanding of how the shifts work. Right. Uh, some kind of chameleon and an interspecies transplant to save the dog. Uh, lots of stuff about Phlox's people, the pets, mating practices, all that jazz. I gave it the standard three. Okay. Um, how did you feel about the characterization in this episode? Always it's very difficult. the strength of Enterprise. Yeah, it really is. Man, how do you think Archer would handle the Harada? Well, he seems to handle the language pretty okay. He's such a he doesn't f- seem to choke on the weird language he has to say. He's such a fucking whiny baby about these aliens who think eating is gross sex stuff. Like, yep. Trip says Archer. He says Archer's a trained diplomat. Yeah, that's a weird assertion because he has not acted like it at all. I, I paused the show for a second. I was like, wait a minute. What I mean, I, just happened? I realize that at this point, the humans have not that much experience with interspecies diplomacy this but his behavior has nothing to do with aliens he's training he did like and it obviously it wasn't this but it was a version of this he did one of those online sexual harassment things where you watch a weird bad acting scene and then you fill out a quiz and you're allowed to get it wrong because you just have to do it again until you get it right yep on diplomacy but not on sexual harassment or he would have realized that flox was giving him good advice yeah it's true. They they changed the test that, that he got. He should have got the sex yeah. harassment one. But, like, mm, there's no indication. The only indication in this show, and maybe this is why Tripp says it, the only indication in this show that Archer has had any diplomatic training is how bad at diplomacy Trip is. <laughs> true. The few times that he gets to talk to an alien. Yeah, he's like uh, Archer Sr. He gets out there and he's just fucking yelling at dudes. Um, Archer seems to be insinuating that he will revenge himself upon the Cretaceans if the dog dies. Yep. 
Trained diplomat. And I, by the way, again, these are always written in real time. I have, and now he's just yelling at T-Pole, who comes to give him a report. Flox thinks, no, yeah. Don't worry, he's a hundred percent the worst. We didn't need to talk about it, but in this scene, he has a. In this episode, he has a weird competitive treadmill run with yeah. T-Pole. He said he tells her. He says with his mouth, Porthos has the right to a little fresh air. <laughs> he complains that his dog has the right to go down to an alien world and piss on a tree. He's really, it's really bad. Flox thinks he's backed up, and that's why he sucks. It would be nice to have a reason. Um, <laughs> yes. This old boy, I can't even. He kept in touch with his ex girlfriend's mom's dog. Yeah, I mean that's wild. He, look, he is generally not appropriate. Yeah, and he realizes in the end he's got the stiff curse for Tapol Tapol. Yep. Uh, Phlox has degrees in everything, including six degrees in interspecies veterinary medicine, which seems like too many. Um, he's also got nasty old toenails and a long giraffe tongue. T-Pole rightly points out that this is all Archer's fault, and he's having trouble admitting it. Um, they even write into the show that he sucks and everyone knows it. <laughs> yep. Then she uses sarcasm when she tells him she obviously can't keep up with him because he's just trying to run faster than she is on the treadmill. Good God. Uh, Hoshi's good with animals, I guess. That bat liked her. I gave it a one. Look, it's so bad. When the main character of the show is an absolute festering garbage pile. Yeah. And we're 30 episodes in. Yeah. Yes. And you're like, by the way, here's some more ways he sucks. He's kind of, in this episode, he's kind of dug a new low. Like, he's he's dug himself down to a lower level. I just have no faith that he's going to be redeemed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're not crazy far apart on this one. I did give it two points Holy for characterization. Shit. It's all for flocks. All right. Okay. Yeah. None of it is. And T. Paul is fine in this one, except that the having her possibly reciprocate his affection yeah. is beyond insulting. Yep. It's insulting to all women everywhere. Yes. Agreed. Not even just not insulting because she's a Vulcan. Yeah. Or because of anything we've seen of her character, like the fact that there's never been any evidence of this before. Yep. It's insulting that anyone could be attracted to this giant space baby. Agreed. Uh, yeah, here's what I wrote. Flox is a nasty weirdo with an impossible number of degrees. Yep. Archer has little to no interest in the diplomatic aspects of his job and just wants to look at comets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Also... Whether this shit is happening to him because he's worried about his dog, or whether it's because he's got wood for T-Pole, he is unfit for his job. Agreed. The only reason this is not a zero is because of the conversations about Flox's weird family life and his work-life balance. There's, like, some stuff about he doesn't see his kids, but he didn't really see eye-to-eye with them, and he lives a long time, and they have their own careers. There's, like... yeah. For some reason in this one, he's a real person, but no one else is. Yeah, they get into it with Phlox, and um, and I think even just the very nature of him being next to Archer makes him seem so much more appealing. Just yeah, being the guy seems... in the room with the worst guy. Again, he has a bad CGI tongue and crazy bumblebee toenails, but <laughs> uh, he is the only human in that scene. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's why it's a two and not a zero. Right. I mean, so bad. Yep. So, so bad. And somehow this earned a four on characterization from uh, from Ben. 
I, I'm, I don't even know what to say. I, does I, he does he say how? Uh, uh, he calls the dog King Louis. So we're well, on the, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. I I, I I'm having trouble reading the words because the score he does, keeps flashing in my eye. <laughs> he does spend most of the time uh, dissecting Archer's weird threat. Archer's weird retaliation threat. Isn't it so fucking? But when he did that, I was like, "What is fucking happening right now?" Yeah. Okay. Well. Yep. Uh, what about quick hitters? You got some of those? I know this is always a tough one for quick hitters. Uh, these fucking decontamination scenes. Yeah. Obviously, they could appear next to the word gratuitous in the dictionary, but they're also fucking useless because they're. The internet already existed in 2002. You could see real naked people on it. Just do this scene where they're talking about what went wrong down there in the shuttle on the way back. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't serve any purpose. That's... I mean, it it previsions the fucking sex dream, but whatever. How about have the dream about the time you were tied up and her boobs kept smothering you? (laughs) That'd be cool. They could reuse that set or something. That'd be really nice. Yeah. Like they, they, well, also you'd be like, oh man, did they shoot that when they had that set yeah, all built? Yeah, you, you could think about it. And they've it. just been, it's been in the can for weeks. Maybe Shran would appear, like poke his head in. You'd be like, wait, what's happening? Oh, they're boning now. I'm Shran. <laughs> and then you'd leave. Yeah. It'd be great. It'd be much better. The show has no self-awareness though. I'll just no. like Archer. No, no, no. <clears throat> uh, T-Paul once again, just telling Archer what his issues are. Porthos is like a weird memento of an old girlfriend. It's really weird, though. It's really weird. He kept in touch uh, with his ex-girlfriend's mom's dog. Flock started to do combinatorics about how many different relationship possibilities there were in his weird three-by-three poly marriage, yeah. and it was all I could do to not do the math. I because would... it didn't feel right, but I did not want to live there. Uh, I didn't want to live in my mind in there. <laughs> That's where I was with Colmini's age. Yep. <laughs> I went, you know what? I don't want to get into it. You're like, I just don't you want know, to. either way, I don't want to know. Yeah. Uh, and then I couldn't believe the thing at the end. Uh, T-Paul is bullshitting him here, right? Like a funny Vulcan joke. Please don't make it that she's attracted to Archer, who must seem to her like the worst baby idiot she's ever met. Yeah. I give best actor to Flocks and worst actor to T-Paul. What are your quick hitters? Um, T-Paul's always a good candidate for worst actor, and Flocks she- seems fine. She's so bad with words, and, like, when she announces that she obviously can't keep up with you, it fails to even be cutting. It's nothing. It's, it is it is a nothing, like, it's an obvious line, and it doesn't land or do anything. Yeah. So, meh. Oh, cool, sexy underwear time again. What an outstanding show. Oh no, the Duke of Buckingham got a big bad pathogen. Uh, oh god, a dream sequence this episode is hunting for the absolute lowest depths of scoring. Oh, and it's a sexy time dream. That's wonderful. That's all the quick hitters I bothered to take. Yeah, it's very <laughs> bad. Um, But is it the worst? Yeah. This week we watched Threshold. Uh, can you believe that Marjan does not think that that's the best Madonna song? That's just... 
I that's the best 15 seconds of any Madonna song right before she starts singing. <laughs> well, she's not a great singer. All right, I'll let you get in. Uh, no, I mean for real, like I didn't I didn't put more of that in not because that's not my favorite Madonna song, although we have discussed that idea. Yeah. But uh, the fourth line is the word way, something in the way you move me won't let me be or something like that. Uh-huh. And um it's not in key when she sings way. <laughs> she didn't get she, far. She the first line, and they didn't do another take. Yeah. Tom Paris mm. is running a simulation of a transwarp drive, and it ends violently at warp 9.95 with an explosion. So uh, he and Harry Kim and Torres uh, do what anyone would do. They go to the mess hall and have a little conversation about their problem where Neelix can butt in with some advice. Mm-hmm. And because this show sucks, um, and last week or the week before, he told Bolana Torres that it would come to her in a dream, and it did. Yeah, all you do is, all you gotta do is get some sleep, you know? He, uh, he gives them the aha moment again, and, um, and they go to the holodeck, and their, uh, shit works. And what they're trying to do is, uh, break the warp 10 barrier and achieve infinite speed. Boy, this is another really good episode. Infinite speed. Yeah, infinite. The kind that where you're everywhere at once. Uh, so Janeway gives uh, Tom Paris permission to do a test flight. Uh, even though the doctor would rather have Harry Kim do the test flight because Tom Paris has got some kind of a brain whoopsie. Mm-hmm. And Paris is shitty about that. He doesn't want to lose his elite test pilot status. Yeah. And he shares all his emotional problems with Janeway for a while until she relents and lets him go. <laughs> right. Well, she's Ship's mom. So they do the damn old thing. And as he passes through Warp 10, he says, oh my, and disappears from the sensors. And then reappears like a minute later, uh, alive but asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wakes up and he tells him about his ayahuasca freak out and how he was everywhere at once and he could see everything. And he saw that they were looking for him and he turned off the engines and came back. So... They get all excited about the idea that if they can just figure out how to pick where to come out of Transwarp, they could be anywhere in the universe and it would change everything. Right. But while they're planning the second flight, uh, he has a bad reaction to Neelix's coffee and they can't beam him to sickbay because his pattern keeps changing and the doctor discovers that his whole shit is different and he can't have any water now. That's right. And in fact, he can't even breathe air. So they have to uh, put up a force field and change the atmosphere in sick bay. And he is a gonna die. Yeah. Uh, which he reacts to by again just running on and on about his bad childhood and his dad and how he didn't live up to expectations. Uh, also, he wants a kiss from Cass. Ugh, well, Cass is pretty sexy for a two-year-old, you got to admit. Well, she's two and a half by now. It's not this as weird as it once it was. Very clear she's a fresh, hot two-year-old. That's right. Uh, anyway, he dies uh, before she can touch lips. But don't worry. Doesn't matter. In the middle of the night, he comes back to life. <clears throat> right. While the doctor is manually entering data in a computer instead of just thinking it there because he's also in the computer. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Paris' body's um, just lying there. Uh, not nothing's being done to it. It's just a dead body laying in the bed. Yep. Uh, anyway, he's alive again, and he's continuing to mutate. 
and he's got a second heart. Then there's a Maquis guy, and he's like feeding information on the transwarp flight to a Kazon named Redick. It doesn't really pay off. It doesn't pay off in this episode. They're doing a slow build. They're like the DS9's yeah. doing a Dominion slow build. Voyager's doing a this guy's going to betray Voyager slow build. Yeah, they sure are. Yeah. I uh, didn't recognize that guy, though. Is he one of the guys who was all mad about Kurt Bandera in the last episode? Or <laughs> Yep. Is that his name? I don't know. Are you talking about the, um, the Trabe guy? Oh, no, the guy who died. Yay. The guy who died, and they had yeah. a big yes, memorial he's service. he's one of those he, guys. Yeah. He's one of those two? Cool. Yeah. So they're doing something. Yeah. Uh, Janeway goes to comfort and increasingly gross Tom Paris. Mm-hmm. And uh, gets to listen to more of his whiny horse shit. And then some weird supervillain nonsense. And then his tongue falls out. (laughs) But finally, he decides he understands what's happening to him and demands to leave the ship. And when the doctor tries to stick him in the warp core for three minutes on medium, he breaks his restraints and uh, escapes in, uh, in his modified shuttle. Yeah. And so Voyager can't chase him. Oh, he runs across Janeway in the hallways while they're trying to track him down, so he uh, straight kidnaps her, too. Yeah. So they both disappear. Uh, Voyager loses him in the chase, and it takes him three days to find the shuttle. Uh, And while they're on their way there, the Doctor announces that he's figured out what's going on. Tom Paris was undergoing a rapid natural evolution and becoming what humanity will become in millions of years. Chakotay and his uh, archenemy Tuvok beam down and discover our glorious future. <laughs> Two weird catfish hanging out on the beach yeah. doing nothing. And uh, Chakotay immediately and cold-bloodedly stuns them both. <laughs> well, one of them kind of makes a move toward him, but to me it looks like a move like, what's that? Yeah, one of them just sort of looks at him yeah. and gets hella stunned. Uh, and then he stuns the other one for good measure. And uh, we also see three of these baby catfish slip off into the water. Meaning that uh, Catfish Paris and Catfish Janeway did a sex. Isn't that hilarious? They did sex, everybody. Well, they were catfish. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the doctors figured out that uh, his original microwave trick would have worked. Uh, so he does fix their genome. And uh, then leaves them alone in sickbay to uh, talk about shit. Yeah. Uh, Paris discovers that doing one cool thing doesn't erase his shitty past, Mm. and no attempt is made to explain why they can't all go home now. Yep. Yes. I mean, it turns you into catfish, but the doctor knows how to fix that. That can be fixed pretty much right away. Seems like he could fix them as soon as they finish jumping. And he won't turn into one because he's a hologram. Yeah. So... So... Are they home? Maybe next episode they'll be home. Yeah, that's probably what it'll be. (laughs) Yep. They'll all be recovering from their catfishing, and... And uh, that'll be it. And, and then, like, like, yeah. <clears throat> like in anyway, Lost, there's some assholes out in the Delta Quadrant called the Kazon, but don't worry about them. They don't have replicators or anything cool. They only sucked for us because we were one ship. <laughs> then, like Lost, which you didn't see, they'll have to go back to the island. And that's yeah. that's how the show will continue. <sighs> Boy. Mm-hmm. So, tell me what this episode was about. Self-doubt Matthew. and regret will make you a risky boy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he takes all these commando fucking test pilot risks because he doesn't feel he's worthy of love or friendship because of his big bad daddy and he thinks he can he can make it all right if he um if he if he's cool enough that's three points okay that's a three point okay. take you gotta watch out um, for yourself don't regret you can't just become a risky boy that's not gonna fix anything 
Yeah, I mean, so I'm, yes, I'm sort of on the same page here. Um, you can't look for a moment to change you. Yeah. You are the sum of all your moments, and any change will be the result of consistent, gradual work. Okay, yeah. I mean, that sounds realistic. I don't know if that's what they said in the episode, because I couldn't watch it. They didn't say it with their mouths. Okay, I'm helping them. We'll get into it in quick hitters, but I had real problems with this episode. <laughs> yeah, this episode sucks very badly. I did give it five points for that take. Though. Okay, well, it was very well reasoned. Uh, what about uh, how did they do with that take? How did they execute this episode? <clears throat> well, I uh, I don't think the joking between Paris and the Doctor works. Okay. Um, these writers seem to think that a character just shouting their issues is pretty good stuff. That's, that's the like deep psychological uh, stuff. Real cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this show is so scientifically inept that it fails to be sci-fi even by the low standards of Star Trek. Y- yes. Yes. It also contradicts the uh, several established precedents that humanity's future their destiny is to become some kind of all-powerful energy being very clearly established at this point that that's where humanity is going. <laughs> yep. Every powerful energy being that meets humanity says that. It says, uh, in the future, you'll be much more, so much more than you can imagine. Maybe you even guys more are powerful like, than me. You guys are like, ne- <clears throat> we're talking next year, by the way. The kid, <laughs> the kid on your ship, he's already basically there. He's a traveler, turns out. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but in this one, and by the way, this is 100% how evolution works. They will definitely don't, turn into don't think I didn't Don't think I didn't shout about it for an hour. Yeah. Because I did. Well, it, it, once you get to this episode, it's really hard to put it all on paper because we've been saying it out loud about this episode for many, many years. And you just get to it and you're like, I've already said all this. I've said all of it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's a one. Yeah. Like, no matter what you were trying to do, with this episode you you really botched it you did it so bad that it's just not it can't possibly be anything yeah even if you were like oh man i found the coolest souffle recipe like this thing from the pictures and the description this is going to be awesome but then you just you cook up like a hot deuce i mean, no, I mean it's even like even if you thought that their take was particularly laudable mm. and again i was a five and you were a three yep and we're not afraid to give better take scores than that. It's not world building. Um, like, even if you thought they were trying to do something laudable, even if your souffle, in your example, if you made it perfectly right, could cure cancer in <laughs> the person who ate it, right. they did such a bad job that you can't really give them credit. No. <laughs> I agree. Like, oh, you were trying to make the souffle that would save my life, but instead um, you kind of broke up the ramekin that you cooked it in and tried to feed me the ceramic shards. Yeah, so. Now I gotta go to Hopsettle again. Like, I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really inclined to give you credit for your very badly executed good deed. I agree. And that's not even what this was, so. I gave it one point. How about you? I agree. I gave it a one. Ah, Voyager, every problem is just a matter of incoherent technobabble no viewer could possibly comprehend or care about. There has never been one solution on Voyager that came from somebody, like, thinking critically or coming up with, like, a philosophical bent on a problem or anything like that. It's always just fucking bypassing the fucking lateral thing with the other thing. And 
every single issue in this episode is exactly the same. All the issues with the shuttle that we have to hear this long conversation about uh, and the solutions therein. All the problems with Tom Paris and the solutions to fix him. And everything that happens is nonsense technobabble. They have no idea how to make a story where something happens and it causes another thing to happen. They just go, why'd that happen? I don't know. Uh, it's a technobabble tech, thing happened. Yep. No matter how this episode does with the take, how could it possibly hope to overcome the general execution black hole it creates? This is one of the all-time dumbest episodes of TV. It violates all internal show logic. It doesn't attempt much of anything other than some weird horror nonsense. It is a one. Yeah. Yeah, it sucked. But, I don't know, maybe Ben liked it a little better. Let's see. He gave it a four. His take, technological barriers can be easier to break through than psychological ones. Oh, that was well put. That is well put. Based on Paris's little monologue at the end, that's what he said. He called them space newts. To me, I've always described them as uh, catfish alligators, and I felt fine with that description. They are kind of like catfish, but they have four legs and a long alligator tail. Yeah. Uh, And then he gives them a two on the execution. He says they jump the newt. (laughs) Yep. They left all those babies on the planet to fend for themselves. It wasn't worth bringing them with you. (laughs) Yeah, you think he'd want to study that, but no. I guess not. No. No, it's, uh, the doctor said that's the future of humanity. Yep, but no one no one cares. Let's not even look into it. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, How'd they do on world building, Matthew? Let's do it. Transwarp technology. If that isn't just some, like, reused technobabble, if they're, like, meaning to, to reuse, if they're meaning to talk about technology that has been referenced in other Star Trek and episodes, I guess that's some kind of continuity. Warp 10 and infinite velocity. Hey, why was he on the sensors and communicating for several seconds after hitting warp 10? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Five billion gigaquads of information sounds like a lot. How much can the shuttle hold? Why yep. did Torres... At least five, but probably not much more because he wants to put more memories in the shuttle. Why did Torres ask for a medical team? She knows they don't have a medical team. And then, where did the medical team come from? Yeah, who carried him to sick bay while he was choking there were like to four death? blue uniform guys. What the fuck is this? Yeah. When did they grow who? a medical team? I thought it was the doctor and Kess and I guess Paris. Tom Paris? Yeah, what is this shit? Because I said out loud, she knows there's no medical team. And then there they were. Yeah. Just dropping the dude off. And by the way, then they left. They dropped yeah, him never off. Never to be seen And again. then just the doctor was in there working on him. <laughs> um, And then... I don't know what to say about the um, evolution of uh, Tom Paris and Janeway into those creatures. Um, I gave it two on the chance that there was some kind of continuity with Transwarp, but I don't think that's how Transwarp was supposed to work. Yeah. Um, They got a new kind of dilithium. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's why they're trying all this. Let's talk about the Warp 10 barrier. The shuttle computer can hold 5 billion gigaquads of information. (laughs) Humanity is destined to evolve into catfish. I also gave it two. So less than the average three. (laughs) But I want to talk about this because I worked a night in sickbay back up to three. Yeah. From the one that I... Wait, was that... You gave it a one and then you worked it up to three. Yeah. Um... I think this is really a one and not a two. It's certainly possible. I, I because everything they do is bad. I consider it a one for that reason, that yeah. it was bad work that was done. 
And I don't have a lot else to say about the world building, except we know the science is bad. That's my entire quick hitters. Okay. Characterization. Do it. <clears throat> Tom Paris has daddy issues and a bad childhood, mm-hmm. and he got his V-card punched at 17, mm-hmm. and maybe he still has cast thoughts. Seems like it. Janeway has thought about having children. Look, the real problem with this episode, Matthew, is that all of the Tom Paris stuff just comes spilling out. Yeah. Like, someone was like, do we know anything about this guy? And then they just went wild. Well, here's what they knew about him before. You don't want to be around me, Harry. I'm bad news. Everything they said about me is right. That's what... And guess who was saying that? Tom Paris. Yep. Yep. Uh... I gave it a three. Okay. Janeway. I mean, Paris, he, Paris was already a bad character. There's nothing new there. Janeway is now full of naive stupidity. <laughs> like, did you see her last week when she they panned it on her face while she was talking about how everybody really has the capacity for change? It's <laughs> true. Okay. And then the same thing in this one, dude. She's just like, what could possibly be the problem about Warp 10? Let's do it. And then you're just like, ah, oh, god damn it. We're going to be the ones who solve this problem because we found a new kind of dilithium. She, I have it in my quick hitters, but she literally is like, well, we've always uh, we've always used new technology responsibly. And I, and I just sat there and I was like, oh, we've always done a good job of using she new said, technology. She <laughs> said, in the last 200 years, we've done a good yes. job. Oh, except for However, all of the bad guys in every Star Trek. Yes. It's just... <sighs> so However, her... she did loudly announce that she'd never get her comeuppance. <laughs> That's right. They've made her just, I don't know, insanely stupid. Um, she very much does not take into consideration what the doctor told her about Paris, and she very much does hold his weird behavior against him. Because he, like, yells at her, and then she's like, Yeah, I can see you're not... Yeah, you're not the Tom Paris I know, or whatever, and starts to walk out, and it's like, the doctor just told you he's got all kinds of, like, psychological shit going on. Hey, his tongue, it just <laughs> fell out. Give so him a break a little bit. Obviously, he's going through a thing. Uh, Paris is willing to risk his life to make the shuttle <coughs> flight, but, like, he doesn't have a choice about that. It's a risky, it's always risky to be a shuttle pilot testing a new technology. Anyone who flies yep. that's going to be risking their life. And obviously he's doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, and he wants to know his dad. He wants his dad to know uh, that he did it. I did it, dad. Doctor's got all those wisecracks. Neelix wants to be useful and he wants people to like him. But like, nah, though. Yep. Kes is really going to miss her just a friend, Tom. And um, I'm glad she's not really in the show these days. She's not really been doing much, and that makes me happy. Uh, I give it a two. Yeah, and you talked me down to a one. <laughs> Frankly, you're right. The only people who don't do anything bad or crazy in this episode are Kess, who's not in it. Yep. And Tuvok, who's, who's not, not in, in it. it. Not in it, yep. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else is the... And I guess Torres doesn't really do anything particularly bad. And she's only in it in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chakotay's behavior on the planet is in would be insane I, for anyone but Chakotay. I can't wait for quick hitters because we got so much to talk about. I got a lot of quick hitters on this. Well, it is your turn to do quick hitters, so let's get into <clears throat> it. I guess I should get into my issues with this episode right away. Is what I have written. I hate when the main characters on a show are imbued with like unrealistic abilities. 
like this invariably happens in shows that last several years because you run out of shit to do and you just start to stretch the boundaries of good storytelling. But why are we supposed to believe that an ex-con navigator, ex-maquis engineer, and fresh as hell out of the academy ops guy can invent and innovate technology Starfleet scientists have been baffled by without any resources, outside help, or like a safe environment? Yeah, it's the same reason that Malcolm Reed invents the force field. Exactly. We've already seen this in Enterprise. It's the same laziness. Exactly correct. They're do you know where like, this? Do you these know main this characters must happen? be the greatest people in the universe. This does not happen in the original series. Yeah, they're not out there like. Scotty's a good engineer, and he can patch some shit up. Yeah, but he's not. It's not every week. He's like, "Well, I found a new warp, new kind of warps." <laughs> yep. Now we're gonna go fifty times as fast because I'm the best. <laughs> Everyone is some kind of super genius. And this happens a lot in shows, too, where everyone knows Kung Fu. It's like another version of this. Where every time they get yep. into a fight, they all just beat everyone's ass with crazy Kung Fu. And you're like, all the main characters know like martial arts and shit? Like, how is this a real thing? But it happens with like inventions and shit, too. Where you're like... <sighs> just, write, just write them going on an adventure. I'm... <laughs> yep. Doesn't occupying every point in the universe at the same time sound like a bad idea? It doesn't seem good. Like you die for the and universe. everything would die. <laughs> like all things would die. Yep. I had to pause the show when she said in the last few, last 200 years we've always managed to use new technology wisely. I just paused it and sat there. And by the way, I've pa- I paused the show so many times in this. At one point I paused and I saw there were 12 minutes left. And I got so mad. Yeah. Like, why isn't this over? So I watched an episode of Running Man before I finished. Because I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't finish the 12 minutes. I was like, 12 minutes normally wouldn't seem like a lot. But in this episode, that's a lot. I'm just going to watch a Running Man. This was a real tough one. <clears throat> um, another case of stupid sci-fi odds making. Where did the doctor come up with a 2% chance that he'd have some kind of a fucking embolism or whatever they said? Is that... How can you get? How can you calculate? Well, he's a, a two, he's a computer. How can you calculate a two percent chance based on an event that has never occurred before? Any robot can calculate the chances of anything happening at any time. That is, yes, that is what sci-fi says. All robots and computers in science fiction are actuaries. <laughs> That's right. I'm just tired. I mean, everything about this episode and and Voyager a lot of the time is like an exercise in what is lazy. Like, how can you just be really lazy? Yep. Uh, two things. Tom Paris risking his life. Um, he's risking his life no matter what because it's an experimental shuttle flight. But two, isn't it... It isn't just his life to risk. It's the entire shuttle program and their chances of making it home. So if it really does make a difference who flies the thing, then they should decide based on that. Like, not that he wants to impress his dad. Mm-hmm. But they they go with impress his dad. Um, they should not ask Tom Paris, the actor who plays him, to do any acting. Like, Nick Locarno, he can do, but losing his mind slowly, he cannot do. No, it was uh, not a strong performance out of old, um, I don't remember his name. I, I don't think I've ever remembered his name. Robert McNeil? Something like that? Could be. What was Paris' body doing just laying there after he died? Just laying there all night? They don't got anything to do with that body? They're going to autopsy him in the morning. What does the doctor as, have to do? As always happens when someone is going to come back to life in the middle of the night. <laughs> I just like, he doesn't have anything. What, what does the doctor have well, to do? Well, he has to type those reports into that computer. <laughs> By hand. 
<laughs> his hollow interface for some reason does not include uh, data reporting. He's not, he can't do that automatically. Um, how else would you get information from one part of the computer to another part of the computer? You type it in. I know how it works. They're still doing a slow build on this trader in engineering. Uh, then the part where I paused where there was 12 minutes left. Hey, that's not how evolution works. Uh, evolution's based on, like, choices that are made and selected for. You can't really just fast-forward it. Nope. Because then you'd probably just look just like you did, or maybe like nothing, because you wouldn't have made any choices. I don't know. But you it's wouldn't... Not, what would it have been selected for to turn you into a catfish alligator? It's not a blueprint that's in your DNA. Yeah, I'm not headed and toward catfish. I, I don't know how much we got into this in the very bad episode of Enterprise, which came after this, chronologically, yep. in which it was, they were genetically, one species was genetically destined to die out, so let's withhold medicine from them. Yeah, yeah, Because I'm Dr. Phlox and Archer and I make bad decisions. I've got a strong bad opinion. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Hey, no, if you're going to have a you, bad opinion, at least bring it, you know? You're 100% right, right? Evolution has no goal. Yep. It is the name for the repeated process of the best versions of naturally occurring mutations surviving environmental pressures. Or at least the selected versions, whether they're the best or not. Because right. if, yes, if the, we are at a point now where the, our, in our evolution where who knows what we're selecting for, whether it's best right, or not. Right, exactly. So... It, the environmental pressure of lying in sick bay, <laughs> he was undergoing those evolutions because random mutations that were attempting to radically attempting to kill him were somehow. It doesn't anyway. Evolution doesn't happen in individuals. Yes, that's so, right. So you can't just fast it, forward and go, oh, that's what we evolved into. No, um, no. It's just super super rare for an episode to be so wrong in both physical and biological science at the same time. <laughs> they were crushing it's it. It's just the worst episode scientifically. <laughs> they crushed it. We knew a it. A couple too. of weeks ago, there was a conversation between Kirk and Spock where they were like, "And if that universe was a negative universe, and they both ran with it, yeah, yeah, and they were right. and the two of them intercepted each other, well, they annihilate the whole universe, mm -hmm. and everything about that is wrong." Yeah, yeah. However, it's only wrong physically, and there's nothing <laughs> biologically wrong with it. And this episode is therefore worse. Yeah. And and that episode was better in most other ways also. Yeah, and this was made 30 years later. Yeah, they had time to um, figure it out. Correct that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, my last note. They must be very confident in the doctor's treatment to be making jokes and phasering things at random down on that planet. Yep. Like, they just go down there, and they're laughing and having a good old time and stunning them and stuff. And it's like, man, they are so confident the Doctor The Doctor right. can definitely fix them. Also, these salamanders are definitely going to be just fine if I shoot them with a phaser. <laughs> he doesn't care I know all. all about their nervous system and what setting to use. <laughs> he thinks about it for less than one quarter of a second. He's just, as soon as he fucking sees the dudes, he's like, oh, fuck this. There's no reason for it. They could have beamed them up into that sickbay force field. And then they, and then they like laugh and joke over their stunned bodies he and yep. tuvok have some are him and his arch nemesis tuvok have some uh some some fucking sassy times over there oh uh, there go their babies into the fucking swamp <laughs> but who's gonna tell them about that that's or, this is gonna be an interesting log entry and tuvok's like well i'll definitely have to read it and it's like what the fuck is happening that's the worst <laughs> so just bad across the board all right what do you got what do you got your, your quickies assuming we didn't cover them 
Uh, seems like these guys should know by now that Neelix is going to butt into their conversation and tell him about his dream. He's like a sober Pulaski. They should know it. They should know not to have that meeting there. Yep. Uh, the problem with reaching infinite velocity is the wrong kind of dilithium. <laughs> That's, That's right. what's been holding them back all these years. All they needed was the good dilithium. If they just could put a little bit more energy through that dilithium, then they could go infinitely fast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. Uh, why does Neelix know what a dark matter bow wave is? Yeah, because he served for two years as an assistant engineer on a freighter. Yep. That's why. Hey, one second after he reaches infinite speed, Tom Paris is going to drop out and come about. One second. No one on the show knows what infinite means. <laughs> one second There's after a he thing... begins to be everywhere all at the same time. There's a part where... He says, we'd reach infinite velocity. Do you know what that means? And someone, I think Neelix says, you'd be going very fast. And that's really how they treat it. Yeah. Again, he is, they're able to communicate with him and track him on sensors several seconds after Kim tells us that he has reached warp 10. Yep. I'm like, well, he guess he hasn't reached it yet. There's something wrong with your instruments. Cause you're you're still, jumping the gun there a little you bit. You can see exactly where he is. <laughs> Uh, they left out Chuck Yeager in their people breaking a threshold analogy, which uh, is uh, kind of a shame because that's the most obvious parallel. I didn't like that they didn't put in an extra invented one. They put in Zephram Cochran, I, but they I didn't. too was waiting for Cermak of the Planet Ray. <laughs> yeah, it just they, didn't happen. They needed to include. I, I know that Cochran's fictional, but they needed an extra fictional one that we hadn't heard of before. They should have because we've seen Zephram Cochran twice by this point, I think. Yeah. So, Wait, is that right? We saw no, him in TOS. probably not. We've probably only seen him in the original series at this point. Because um, this is second season of Voyager would be the ninth season of TNG, and I don't think they'd got around to first contact by Probably that point. not, yeah. Probably I think not. it probably is an extra year or two in there. Yeah. Um, in fact, let's see, the uniforms of what are have already changed by first contact. Uh, it doesn't but not matter. in Voyager. But not in Voyager. Well, they don't change in Voyager, right. but yes, I, I don't think that that happens yet. Anyway. If there's uh, anything wrong, if someone tells me that a doctor said there was anything at all wrong with my dang old cerebellum, my answer is not going to be, so? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, wait a minute, what's wrong with, wait, what? Should I go talk to the doctor? Why are you delivering this news? We get to see on screen the moment where they realize Tom Paris could be anywhere in the universe. Mm-hmm. I-, I guess at that point they know that the entire universe hasn't ended because of his shenanigans. That's good news because it really seems like it should. But I don't know why they think the shuttle still exists. Yeah. But anyway, th- they didn't think about that at all, huh? Like, we see it where they're like, oh, it could be anywhere in the universe. <laughs> we should have thought this through. I know. <laughs> Someone should have gone and looked up infinite. There's not one person in this room who ever did a math class. Yeah, we'll look up infinite right after we look up suture. And we're really we're all broadening our horizons and learning a lot, uh, a lot of new vocabulary. The um, the guy who plays Tom Paris has a ton of silver fillings. We see in this one. <laughs> that dude eats candy to go along with his uh, rapidly receding hairline. He's not. Great. Uh-huh. He's not a great choice. Uh huh. I don't feel like that'd be allowed to fly in uh, the HDTV world. They'd be like, uh, you're going to have to get some white fillings put in. And in the HT, HDTV era, we, all, we know you had to be ripped, too. So he didn't have yes. that either. So... No. 
No resolution to the fancy new warp and no resolution to the Maki Kazon thing. Yeah. So. Hey, how many episodes have we talked about? This is number three? Yes. Okay, good. All right. I just wanted to make sure we were at least on three. <laughs> yes. Yeah, luckily, the fucking night, a night in sickbay was so bad and awful that we only spent like half an hour on it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I give best actor to Reddick the Kazon, I guess. <laughs> With his, uh, he didn't, barely he, in it. Yeah, he didn't really get what was what was going on. But I imagined that in a better world, he could have been played by Tony Todd. So I kind of gave him credit just on that basis. Sure. And I gave the uh, worst actor to Tom Paris, of course. Uh, it was very bad. Yeah. Um, I think you talked me down a couple of points on this one. It's, uh, I didn't have it rated very highly, so. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I don't know if we got to it, but Ben had gave it a one on world building. I think because that of feels right. negative feels right. It feels very right. And uh, four on characterization. Um, he likes Janeway's evolved attitude about sex and... Um, Paris is driven to find acceptance and respect among the crew. I really think it's just for his daddy, but sure. Um, all right. What was the, what was the next f- fucking piece of shit episode we watched? Sorry, this has not been going that well. It's extremely rough. Um, but usually when we're done with Voyager and Enterprise, we're out of the woods In the clear. to some extent. Yeah. Like at least recently, maybe that'll be true. This week we watched Rivals. I love episodes to start in Quarks. It's usually a good sign. Yeah. Um, we get to see uh, a dude having a conversation with a lady about her uh, financial situation. And she's uh, she's she's got some money stashed away, but she's got a way to make even more money. And she's really being open with this this stranger and she can't figure out why she's so drawn to him and willing to explain all of her her deepest financial secrets with him. Uh turns out this boy uh is an Elorian like Guinan. I'm That's not right. sure why that compels people, but we'll we'll get into it. I'm not sure why it compels people to talk to him, but um so he's a Well, listener. I guess he's a he's a Trandoshan and like all of them he's a bounty hunter. Yes, also his exactly. name is Blarg. His name is Blarg, the bounty hunter. Uh, so he's a listener. Um, but this guy is a listener for his own profit. Uh, anyway, he gets put in jail by Odo because some other people are maybe thinking of pressing charges against him. You know how Malcolm McDonald in Generations is such a famous like listener and he's always <laughs> listening to people? <laughs> it's true they didn't really go that way with him, did they? No, it's almost like when they were making that movie... They were like, well, I guess this explains how Guinan is in there, but uh, also because we're not crazy racists, not yeah. everybody from the species has to have exactly the same traits. He's different. He is a it's different okay kind if they're of different. Yeah. He's driven by some weird personal motivation to get back to heaven, yeah. where his dead family is, maybe? I don't remember that well. Um, I don't even think we ever... Oh, I can't believe we're getting into this And movie. he's willing to do whatever it takes to get there, and he knows that he's not a good man. Yeah. Yes. Um, but he's not just a, a listener. That is correct. But he's not a listener, and he doesn't wear a huge hat with a radar dish on it, <laughs> and... That would have been great if they put this guy in that hat. 
They should. I'm, I'm actually surprised they didn't. I think they probably didn't have the budget for a second hat because she was still wearing hers. Uh, well, oh. I don't know she was done by this point. Well, no. Gunn is really around in season seven, is she? Oh, well, this is season two. Yeah, it would be season seven. Season seven. seven. Yeah, I don't really. Remember. I don't know. She might be in All Good Things or something. Yeah. Oh, we know she's in Generations. Um. Yeah. Anyway, this guy gets put in a cell by Odo because I guess some other people are pressing charges against him for some reason. Um, but he meets a weird old uh, sick prisoner playing a, a little tiger handheld game. But like yeah. the worst, the worst tiger handheld game it's anyone's the, ever it's had. It's the most insulting depiction of an addictive game. It's seriously uh, the light. It like lights up and then it either like lights up real good or it dims again. And that's how you know whether you've won or lost. It is a coin flip simulator. Yep. <clears throat> anyway, this guy is like way into it. But he explains to this Elorian dude that uh, this thing is is what did him in. Bad luck. And uh, lost all his money or whatever. Anyway, the dude just straight up and dies. Which makes me wonder if the prisoners on DS9 get medical attention. Because <laughs> he's just... He's just sitting in that cell complaining about how he's very ill. The, no one told, told Bashir about this guy? Bashir's too <laughs> busy playing racquetball? What's going on? Well, man, it doesn't matter. <sighs> Even if Bashir had uh, given him whatever treatments he was capable of, he dies because he gets lucky. Oh. That's, his, that's his luck, is he finally wins on the machine again and, and he dies. gets to die. That's good for him. That's great. Anyway, the... Because this is pretty good TV, the, is what's happening the here. The Elorian takes the shitty game, because uh, he knows right away this thing's a fucking winner um and he starts to get lucky when he plays with it because the people who were pressing charges against him they're they're not pressing charges no more so he gets let out of the cell and he ends up back in quarks and he's got this game and he's having a drink with quark and uh quark is also taken with this real shitty video game and wants to try to buy it off him and the guy decides fuck this dude i'm gonna make my own quarks full of these games just this one the one that lights up by the way, we are already past the point where I messaged you and asked if you'd watched this one yet <laughs> and said that my earnest advice to you was to not watch it and that I would rather quit the series than have to watch it again. <laughs> and you have gone past in the story where I was when I made that pronouncement. I was about 12 minutes in, I think. By the way, I'm, I'm just going with A plot now. I'll get to the B plot, which does relate. It's related to the A plot. Um, <clears throat> well, it was definitely part of why I was mad. So we'll... Yeah. Uh, anyway, he starts up his own little enterprise, his own Quarks, uh, gaming, his own fucking casino, but it's just full of big old versions of this Tiger handheld, uh, again, not as good as, like, the Batman Tiger game or, like, football or anything like that, um, and he's, uh, raking in the fucking dough, <laughs> and he's got a new lady friend who's also financing his dumb operation or whatever, because he's a, r- a real good listener, and, um, <clears throat> This is when shit starts to go bonkers all over the station, because now he's got these big old games, and they change the physical nature of the universe where luck is concerned. So people are, like, having a lot of bad luck and, like, slipping and falling and hurting themselves, and the infirmary's full of people with injuries, and uh, but also they're having, like, files that they're working on just suddenly blink out, because that's a thing that has to do with luck. That's, that's how luck works. Uh-huh. Uh but also in the racquetball contest which is the B plot between O'Brien and Bashir cuz O'Brien made a racquetball. What's this space racquetball? Is that what it's called? It's they just call it racquetball. Okay, space space, space racquetball. Uh O'Brien made a space racquetball gym 
because <clears throat> that station's so big, they just got all kinds of big old rooms left over to do with whatever O'Brien wants to do with them. Um, and, like, uh, Bashir was, like, the best racquetball player ever at medical school, and O'Brien is feeling real old and useless because he's getting his ass kicked by Bashir. So then the, the B-plot is the contest between them to, um, I don't know, O'Brien doesn't want to feel old, and Bashir doesn't want to make him feel bad, so Bashir tries to throw a match and stuff. Anyway, even in that, the luck starts changing, and everything's going... O'Brien's way in this stupid contest that Quark sets up to try to compete with the other casino where he has a grudge match between the two for, for betting purposes. It's because uh, the machine changes how luck works, and so Cisco, as he always does, just comes up with that idea on the fly, and then they're able to look it up and find that yep. there's physical evidence because the, neut- the neutrinos are spinning the- yeah, the neutrinos are not causing the luck to just change. Just a symptom. It's just a symptom of it. It's a symptom so of these machines' magic. Don't worry, they're not going to try to explain how it happened, yeah. or even investigate it. They don't care. Anyway, they find out it's these machines that this guy, the Tiger handheld game and all the replicas that are doing it, so they get rid of those, and then uh, old dude runs out of luck again, because uh, that's how luck works. And uh, he goes, uh, he, he tried to invest in some lady's shit, the first lady, the mining lady. But I guess yep. that goes belly up or something. He she gets, was scamming him. Yeah, he gets he gets broke. Uh, anyway, dog, what was this? It all comes down to luck. Yeah. How many points is that worth? Oh, that's zero points. <laughs> and by the way, that's not a no take zero. That is a take that was so bad. That is a take a that's worth zero points. <laughs> that's and the first one of those, I think. I want to be clear. I agonized over this take. Mm. And I could not. And I watched this six days ago. Yeah. I could not come up with anything better. You know, you've hand, you're handing out an alarming number of zeros lately, and I don't blame you. It's The writing is not good on these shows. And it's like we've this settled so... into a bad pattern on a lot of these shows. And it's just, they're not... No one is even curious as to how these machines Mm-mm. No, are even changing luck them, on the station. And, of course, they're going to vaporize them with their phasers. I was going to say, just like they left those aliens on the planet in Voyager and no need to study them any further. The same thing with this. They're just like, nah, we're done. But, see, it's not about, like, you make your own luck no. or... No, which actually being smart is better than is rejected. Yeah, but plot. being smart is better than being lucky mm-hmm. or... It's really just, it's just down to luck, and there's nothing you can do about it. And at that point, why try? And so that's why it's a zero-point take. It's just, you. it's not Star Trek at all. It's also not, not so good. This is like, in the original series, Spock would be derisive about the idea that that things happen because of luck. That would be the dumb idea that dumb people have. Right. In the I, next generation, they would ex- they would find the scientific explanation for what was really happening. I agree. But here, and I feel this definitely in Voyager, they would they would clear it up with techno babble, but then Janeway would leave open the idea that it might just be luck, that luck Ugh. might be a powerful cosmic force. Yeah, she is great at that. And in Enterprise, none of it would matter because they would just be shouting about their daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. But this is. <laughs> 
Don't get Zero into points. execution yet. Yeah, okay. Agreed. Zero points. The take is not good at all. By the way, I just saw what you sent me that you had also called it a Tiger Electronic game. <laughs> uh, I also called it the world's worst Tiger yes. Electronic game. And we both came to that same conclusion. It's just because I guess whoever was writing stuff in the 90s had never even seen a video game. They just no concept. Because like, they thought the future of video games was that that thing lit up. There will be an episode of The Next Generation in a couple of years, mm-hmm. s- several years, where the, an addictive video game is on the Enterprise, and it is uh, throwing a disc into a hoop, into a funnel. Yes. It's in VR. That's very bad. This is much worse. This is a hundred times worse than that. <laughs> And it came after it. Uh, okay, well, here's what I got. Luck is real, so props to the superstitious. Um, I gave that one point because I hadn't even considered a zero-point take. <laughs> you hadn't considered a zero-point actual take? Yeah, I always I reserve the zero for when I really can't find one. When I just, yeah. there's just nothing there. So I gave it a one. Because uh, listen, there's nothing I'm not else happy you can take it. away from it. It's just like, yeah, no, it's just luck. That's it. I'm not happy about that zero, and despite what I said about the sex dream in Enterprise, I probably wouldn't have issued a zero point without the deduction for the sex dream. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, come on. Let me just dive into the execution, since we agree that the take was the fucking nasty old banana hammock. Another strange phenomenon on DS9. Oh, yeah. Luck is, oh, yeah. luck is very real and can be changed by a fancy game. Bad gambler men get their comeuppance in the end. What else is there to say? Oh, also, don't worry. Uh, the Elorian t- told the computer magic words, and that's why it started affecting the whole station, because he just told it to make it bigger. <laughs> it's the computer. So it's got the worst part of elementary dear yes. data in there, too. The Cardassian computer, or whatever Federation changes they've made to it, it has that same ability to parse language into something terrible. That's right. Uh, anyway, that was worth a two on execution, but boy, I don't know. That seems like a lot. I'll write it in the score sheet, okay. and then I'll look at my notes to see what I gave it for execution. Frankly, I was playing Animal Crossing during most of your description of what happened. <laughs> I remember this episode. Yep. The, the racquetball part is so bad, too. Yeah. And it's just... It's just O'Brien is such a petulant child, He's and Keiko's terrible. kind of a bitch. Yeah, they're both terrible. It's really bad. I don't know what they did there. O'Brien was so um, friendly and like uh, seemed like a real person on on TNG, and he's just only ever been power play O'Brien on this. And and to think that like the only thing that we have for him and Keiko in terms of like plot or characterization is that they fight a lot is like. What? Why do they just want us to not enjoy ourselves? Anyway, go on. Sorry. And by the way, no effort to show how living on this station under these circumstances is bringing them closer together. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Just that they fight a lot. Because <laughs> they want us to like this show a lot. What you got? Uh, okay. Absolutely zero attempt is made to wrap up the episode for any of the actual characters. Mm-hmm. Why isn't Quark in trouble with his clients for that aborted match? Yeah. Presumably he stole all their money. Yeah, halfway through the ma- the grudge match he sets up between um, Bashir and O'Brien, Bashir they... and O'Brien realize something weird is happening and they just cut off the match. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's fine. 
why didn't O'Brien and Bashir become closer over the absurdity of the big game? Yeah. Starfleet just discovered that probability could be manipulated and they blew up the technology and we'll never hear about it again. <laughs> That's right. They'll never. No, there's not even like a shadow organization within the Federation trying to research it or anything. It's just like, no, that's it. It's gone. Blowed up. Did they do... Is there anything redeeming that was done in the execution of this episode? Because I have a zero, and I'm not comfortable with it, with two zeros on a not a no-take. Well, here's what we can do. I'll give it a one if you give it a one. (laughs) No, that doesn't make any difference. (laughs) It makes no difference. Because <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with my two. All right. Let's appeal to Ben. Let's see what oh, Ben has yeah, here and just see if he found anything good. Okay. His take for two points. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Quark, Martis, and O'Brien Bashir are battling it out. Yeah, they called the episode Rivals, right? So they set up those mm-hmm. two rivalries. That's the parallel that they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. No explanation as to why this guy wants to go into the casino business, by the way. Why he doesn't just realize that he's lucky all the time and hit the stock market. Yeah. I don't think he makes the connection that his device is doing it. Yeah. The effects of random chance influence the result in unpredictable ways. It's a rough one and it didn't need the sci-fi twist to make it a plot. I mean, I guess, like, I don't know. Otherwise, aren't you just doing the Norm MacDonald um, plot where he... Is gambling on that Turkish egg fight. <laughs> and he carves himself a soap egg when he's in jail. Carves himself an egg out of soap when he's in jail. Uh, uh, he gave it a four for execution, so why? Let's see why. The luck ball thing randomly brings luck and takes it away by somehow aligning neutrinos, question mark? But that's No, some- I don't think... I think that's... You're confusing cause and effect. Yeah, right. But that somehow attaches to certain people, which is why O'Brien could win when he shouldn't. This is totally stupid. I don't see the four yet. Yep, waiting for it. The science is basically Voyager level. A little bit of good work by Quark makes us not a total waste. Well, I mean, that's more characterization. All right. He didn't have any good points. Yes, the only actor on the show handles himself okay. All right, let's just jump. Let's dive into world building. And I'm just going to leave my zeros. And I don't think I'm going to change my mind by the time we're done talking about this. But that's fine. World building. Starfleet Medical Academy. O'Brien is 38. (laughs) There are environmental impact studies in the 24th century. Okay. Luck is real and a Ferengi thought maker can change it. It did look like the Ferengi thought maker. So I think they used the same mold. Could um, be, yeah. It's a five. Just based on the import yeah. of the luck and, thing. Now that's... And incidentally, it's kind of consistent with the where no one has gone before. Yeah. Thoughts affect the universe. I had almost the exact same. So I, I didn't know what whether to give it a really high score because of the impact or a really low score because I hated it. But yeah, I saw, I went where you went. I gave it a six in world building. I said, <laughs> here's what I got. Oh, shit. An Elorian. Uh, more more <laughs> mining economy discussion. There's a lot of um, mining business in Star Trek. But who cares about how the economy works in this? Yep. The gaming- Well, they don't set it up in a consistent way, so it makes it very difficult to care. Yeah. The gaming industry is alive and well in the future economy as well, but how does the economy work? Quark had a monopoly on gambling under the Cardassians, which, duh, I mean, nobody would want to set up shop on that place. Uh, I guess luck is a cosmic equation that you can mess with technologically. 
How's that for world building? When um when was this episode made compared to the Red Dwarf Luck Virus episode? All right, let's go to Google. Let's let's <clears throat> Google it. I don't remember the name of that one. Uh, that's a very good question. Quarantine. From that's like, quarantine. It's quarantine. So that is 1992. So it was first. Yep, they beat him to it. So Red Dwarf wins again. <clears throat> yeah, but he takes the luck virus that makes him luckier. Um, this guy's nice suit is just a little bit more sci-fi than a B5 suit. And by that, I mean a little more tacky. Um, yeah, it's very bad. Rule of Acquisition 109. Yeah, I gave it a six because of... Apparently, luck is totally real, and there is theoretically a way to manipulate it with technology. I'm going to do an interrupt here and go to Ben's world building. Okay. Um, stupid tennis is still a thing, but they decided to use spatulas instead to make it harder. I guess, does he just refer to racquetball as stupid tennis, or is he not familiar <laughs> with this genre of, of paddle sports? <laughs> maybe. Or maybe that's stupid squash. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like yeah, stupid squash. squash yeah. Who? No one knows the difference between racquetball and squash. Yes, so. it's one of those two. Yeah. I think the ball, uh, I think it's the bounciness of the ball, isn't that it? Isn't squash like the ball is hella dull, like dead? Yeah, shit, maybe. I think. Uh, so what he has learned from this episode is that the justice system on Deep Space Nine and presumably in Bajor is one where the victim of the crime has to be a person mm. versus one where the victim is the state of California, the mm. state like California is, because if it had been in space, Odo could have charged him. The, he wouldn't have needed the old couple to press charges. And that is true in the state of California for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, I mean, sure. So the reason that I'm interrupting is because that bumps my world building up to a six. <laughs> For some reason, it doesn't do anything that is for an, me. That is an excellent point that it does teach us something about something fundamental about law on Deep Space Nine and Bajor, assuming that it's applied consistently. Yeah, I was going to say, does Odo like, actually say but that? But I or? cannot think of any contradictions. He definitely lets him go because they've decided not to press right, charges. Right, but I don't know if that means he can't press charges, he just doesn't care about this guy and wants him gone. That doesn't seem like Odo to me. Okay, alright, well maybe not. I mean, he's mad at Plix Tixaplik for something. He's, he's got a get wall of most wanted, he's and he's got a weird sense of guy. justice. That guy's a weapons peddler. This guy just had a tiger handheld. What's the big deal? That is true. Well, this is before he even had that damn thing. That's true, yeah. By the way, he does a real golem thing here where he keeps insisting that that guy gave it to him. Uh, yeah, that guy died. That guy just died, <laughs> and you took it off his corpse. He died, and you, you blundered his corpse. In jail. <laughs> you gave me these boots, too. <laughs> This is very different from the character portrayed by Dwight Yoakam in the song Streets of Bakersfield. Oh, please. What's happening right now? <laughs> where in, in which, while he's in jail yeah. in San Francisco, he takes $15 from his passed out cellmate. But uh, he leaves him his, old, uh, his watch and his old house key because uh, he doesn't want folks thinking that he'd steal. Sure. So he does make a barter with an unconscious man for the money for a bus ticket to Bakersfield. But that's Dwight Yoakam. Not everyone is that cool. That's right. Dwight Yoakam is an upright man of moral character, whereas this man is a criminal. Yeah. A criminal in a low life. A criminal in a shitty suit. Um, where are we on characterization here? Odo is racist in a, um, I'm just being careful in stereotypes are a good guide of how to treat alien strangers kind of way. 
He has a lot yeah. of opinions about Elorians uh, or other kinds of aliens. Yeah, that is true. He lets it guide his actions. Um, O'Brien hates Bashir in the way that Space Ghost hates Tom York. <laughs> he does. He walked into the fucking rec room and saw Bashir sitting there and just went, Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, uh, like the guy who heard that the in-flight movie was dirty work. <laughs> just went, oh, fuck. <laughs> um... O'Brien is also really, as we talked about, really fucking sensitive on Deep Space Nine. Yep. Must be fighting with Empress Keiko again. Yep. Uh, Bashir points out the lines look like the old rules for this dumb racquetball game, and O'Brien nearly murders him on the spot. Yes, he does. And then that's where I have Doc. O'Brien is only 38. I don't even want to know how old Colmini is in this episode in case he's still in his 30s. That would make me sad. Fifteen years ago, O'Brien played five hours of space racquetball every day. That seems yeah. nuts. I guess his first posting out of the academy must have been pretty boring. Good God, that's right? a lot he would have been twenty-three, right? So yeah. he's a f- no. He didn't go to the academy. He didn't go. Yeah. So he was an, he was an enlisted man in some shitty position. By the way, wasn't that roughly when the Cardassian War was? Maybe they didn't have much to do on set. Like how long when ago was he on set? Like three, just playing racquetball five hours a day. <laughs> Yeah, and he always talks about how terrible it was. They probably had sweet racquetball facilities. What a liar. Uh, and then I also have Keiko is a master belittler. She does yes. it so casually and without any hint of emotion. It's so... Uh, she's fucking cold as ice. It's so studied. In fact, I was certain her send-off of O'Brien with like the scented handkerchief and the kiss was another manipulation meant to set him up for an even bigger fall. Yeah. Like in some it way he's going to be wrecked later. <laughs> It didn't seem to be like that she didn't tie a thing around his head and had the Japanese word for old man on it or something. (laughs) Uh, Quark can be incredibly stupid and bad at business when the writers need him to be. His uh, negotiations with this dude are pitiful. Where he keeps trying to offer him money for the game and and he's just super desperate and he's like salivating. Why does he think this thing is worth any more than those fucking clawing pigs? He it light up once, and he's just like, I gotta, I gotta have that in my casino. I swear to God, I would take that box of ritual sticks over the fucking light up game anytime. Give me the sticks. Give me the juice. I don't care. The nectar that he he says is just juice. Juice. (laughs) I've got enough juice. I've got enough juice. (laughs) Um... No, it's uh, one man's priceless is another man's worthless is what he says. Oh, that's right. He's, He's got, got enough sticks. sticks. <laughs> He's got enough sticks. That episode scored so bad, but will this score worse? <laughs> um, lots of little flourishes, also known as... No, it won't because we've given it 12 points oh, in the world, world building. building. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I was saying, lots of little flourishes, also known as acting by Armin Shimmerman. Yep. Um, Quark is uh, even a sport doper. Like, he will do oh, yeah. any bad thing. He, oh, yeah. He definitely tries to throw the match. He yeah. tries to get Bashir to throw the match. This is easily the most likable Bashir has been to this point. Like, he starts Yeah, he's off, in a bad... He's in a bad... He's a, he's a piece of shit at the, at the yeah. top. Starts off bragging and shitty, as always. But then he genuinely feels bad for O'Brien, who is an insane person. Yep. And he even tries to throw a match to him to make him feel better. Yep. Which only sets him off even more. <laughs> He has a whole conversation with Dax that's not about trying to fuck Dax because he's so worried about this O'Brien situation, which has become a nightmare for him as well. That's right. 
so this is like this is like the first time we saw Bashir like just not being the absolute worst person. No, don't worry. He starts out real bad. Yeah, he starts off exactly the same. Um, Cisco actually appeared in this episode mainly to be suspicious about all the weird luck because that's how he solves problems: being weirdly. Mm-hmm. He's suspicious very intuitive, and then telling everyone the problem without any evidence. <laughs> Uh, Rom is evolving, but will still betray Quark for more Latinum. Kira. Yeah, they're leaning on Rom. I think they've realized that they're since Quark is the only actor, having a family dynamic is helpful. Yes, there has to be to the something show. there. Kira doesn't know how to save her work, like, all the damn time. Yeah. <laughs> she also foolishly believes you make your own luck. Also, computers suck in the future. They just regularly suck. Yeah. I'll leave this here. I don't think it has anything to do with her character, but Terry Farrell seemed more confident about the nonsense techno babble they gave they gave her in this episode. I also thought she did a reasonably good job there. But I th- also feel like she's in timeout because they didn't <laughs> give her much to do either. That's true. Like I don't know if she did something behind the scenes. I I feel like I feel like the science officer should have been more involved, but they just kind of had her run a tricorder around every once Maybe. in a while. She probably opened her mouth about having to wear a padded bra yeah, again. Yeah, you can't, you can't fight the system. <clears throat> um. Anyway, all of that was worth a three. Well, Matthew, I uh, uh, Lander just crashed. Hold on, <laughs> that's all right. It saves, unlike that's future a, computers. I have a YouTube open that I was watching earlier. So, it's what fun. are you doing? Why aren't you? Why aren't you invested in this show? <laughs> Because I was playing Animal Crossing earlier and I crashed Landry because I had too many memories going. Ma- Matthew, I also gave uh, gave this a three okay. uh, for character. So we're pretty in sync on this. I only gave it a few more points on the front end because you gave it zero. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I liked Cisco outright admitting that he blackmailed Quark. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good touch and the only good Cisco we've seen recently. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brian sucks, Bashir sucks, Keiko is Japanese, did you know that? I, um, I knew that, I, do we know where Trip is from? That's all I want to know. Mm, we, I think one time he may have mentioned his favorite food, but I forgot it. Okay. Uh, I thought Cisco seemed checked out again, frankly. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, they did a three. Uh, I've got some quick hitters, but frankly not many. Uh, least interesting cold open ever. Not a question. I'm certain. Okay, alright, good. I don't think O'Brien's loose-ass Jedi robes are good workout clothes. No, but he doesn't want anything form-fitting. His 38-year-old body would show. I guess that's true. Listen, my body's no better than Cole Meany's, and I'm not 38 yet, so whatever. And to be fair, I've seen you enough that it's not like... I don't question how you look in comparison to your age. Can somebody tell me how old Judah looks? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm starting to get white hair in my beard, so it's probably probably about to flip on me. Oh, I've got like 10,000 gray or silver hairs in my head, but it looks so oh, yeah? much like my blonde hair that you can't really tell. Oh, I don't think I have any up on my head yet. There's just this one patch of my beard and uh, also starting to come in on my chest, which is a real fun idea for me. <laughs> that's a little update for everybody. Just a little update on where I've got gray hairs and where I don't. <laughs> we'll keep I can't this going. see my back. This will can't be... tell you if there's any on my back. <laughs> this will be a new segment. We will alert you as to where the gray and white hairs are, are popping up. Um, 
Do you remember how Guinan is like a thousand years old and mm. has some kind of powers that Q is afraid of and can tell that the timeline has been disrupted and that Tashiar is supposed to be dead? Oh, yeah, that's right. She does have powers. Uh-huh. Yeah, this guy's just a bad grifter. But, but people want to talk to him. Yeah, But then they true. also rip him off. Uh, then I wrote the most insulting thing about this episode is that people would lose their shit to play an electronic coin flipping game. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote, this is like a season one plot that went through a time warp and landed here. Exactly right. It's just a weird phenomenon on Deep Space Nine. What's happening? Oh, no. No one gives a shit. It's terrible. I gave best to Quirk and uh, worst to uh, Dex. Dex is barely did we even miss, in it. we miss anything from Ben? Did Ben have um, any quick hitters uh, on this well, piece of shit? did we say that on the back end he gave it a four in world building and a three in characterization? I don't remember. He says it's the bad guy from Princess Bride, but I don't care about that. Yeah. Um, and then I'll do my quick hitters after he has any, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, all right. Um, why, I already asked, why doesn't this alien prisoner get any treatment from Bashir? Just talking about his ill health and dies on the spot. Um, I do love Colmini doing an English accent. Oh yeah. It's a, and then you're like, oh yeah, of course he can do an English accent. And I get the feeling that genuine hate is driving it. That the hate of Colmini <laughs> is shining through. <laughs> Well, in real life, he and Bashir got into fistfights on oh. set about politics. <laughs> um, I love that he's just a big, dumb Irish guy. <laughs> Can't Bashir just replicate more ketchup? He's like running around trying to grab ketchup off every table in the scene with Dax. Yep. What's the big deal? Oh, yeah, they gave, him, they gave him some work. They gave him a little handwork to do there. So the kind of work that is often very distracting. Fuck, I didn't even write that down. I was so mad already about this episode. <laughs> Would this um, have been better or worse if it went with continuity and made this the Katarian game part two? I mean, if Atana Jal had fucking rolled up and like, maybe now she's got Thomas Riker in tow. Oh, fuck. Who knows, yeah, right? Yeah, and then the game gets distributed. And then around. they fucking drop this shit off. And, and then fuck this Quark, guy. He's not in it. Quark wants Quark to use the game. the game. Yeah. And Quark has to learn. It's move along home part two for Quark. <laughs> He's going to have to learn about not playing, not betting on these weird alien games. He needs to only use games that have uh, gone through a certification process. With the not every money-making strategy is a good one. and But then, like... I guess it's also doing something that weakens Deep Space Nine so that the Katarans can invade. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. It's a military strategy. And also, the best, the best part of changing the plot this way, you don't have the thing about luck being controlled by the luck device. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. They're just addicted to the game, and they uh, are too busy playing the game, and the Katarans are going to take over. It is a little problematic because this space station is like... They can't just leave with it. <laughs> Well, like, I don't when know. When they took over the Enterprise, they would have a real badass ship that also was one of the faster ships around. That's true. So, like, it's going to be tough for someone to get that thing back from them. Whereas, uh, yeah. to get a hold of old Deep Space Nine, they're kind of like, yeah, we're, we're we, we've the got the station. We've got the station at the edge of the wormhole. <laughs> what? Two fighters are coming from Bajor and they can blow the whole station up. Yeah. I guess it's not a good strategy. Um, and then again, how old were the people who wrote this episode? They thought that game was super exciting and interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot of references in this episode to the deep code level. I yeah. wonder what uh, Crichton property <laughs> the writer had recently been reading. Because he for sure thought he was a tech genius. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, dude, like three references to the deep code level. 
It's like, oh boy, they really don't know about anything. They're just first. First of all, the writers of Deep Space Nine love Michael Crichton. That's what I'm saying. You know it is true, and it's only because Dan Brown hadn't been writing yet <laughs> or hadn't been famous yet. I feel bad for the actress who plays this guy's Dabo girl, the guy in the in the new casino. Oh, well, I mean, she's on. Screen. She didn't have to have. She didn't have to have underboob, but she did have like weird transparent panels in her outfit. But I still feel like it's a step up. She is on screen for like a third of the episode. She's in every background scene, but she never gets a line. So she probably made less than SAG minimum, would be my guess. Yeah, yeah for sure. She made a she made a couple hundred bucks to wear a sexy outfit all for probably filmed for three days with it. Yeah, right? she was on screen more than Cisco and Dax combined. It's uh, yep. nuts. Um, and that's all I had. So time to. Time to finally move on to the last piece of shit of this week. That's right. Bunch of shitty episodes so far, yep. but don't worry. This week we watched Amok Time. Ooh. Now, I didn't notice that the theme change changed for season two. Did it change? It did indeed. I skipped it, so I didn't realize that. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I noticed it right away, and I said, oh, "Now I'm going to have to change it to this worse version of the theme." Let's see if I can remember what happened in this. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh, Spock hit puberty, and he's <laughs> really mad about stuff. He throws some soup at Chapel. He won't eat. Um, they don't know it's puberty yet. Of course, they got to figure that out. And because no, he's too embarrassed to tell them, it's know, very bad. Because they got to kill fifty minutes or whatever. Um, he doesn't want to tell them right away that he's got that he's sprouting the pubes, and he keeps telling them, uh, "Like I, I got to go back to Vulcan uh, for shore leave because I got to. I just have to go there, and it's important." And Kirk's willing to hear him out on this. He's like, "All right, you're having an issue." Clearly, um, I'll take you back to Vulcan. Except they gotta yeah, be. Here comes this, one of these admirals. They gotta be at Altair Six for some kind of presidential inauguration. Make a, a diplomatic show or whatever, and it's super important. An admiral won't let them go to Vulcan. But finally, Spock breaks down and he's like, "Look, here's what's going on. I got the death puberty, and if I don't go back, I'll be dead soon because of the death puberty." So, they break Starfleet, uh, they they dis- disobey orders, and they take him back to Vulcan. And he's like, uh, I gotta go down, I'd like you guys to come with me, being Kirk and McCoy. And they go down to the planet, and uh, it turns out there's a whole big ceremony that's about to happen. Um, uh, oh, also, he gets a call on the bridge from his wife. That's right, That's, to Pring. Yeah, to Pring. Um, and they're all like, what, you're married, bro? It's a lot of shock in this episode. Anyway, they go down there, and this is like the marriage ceremony or something, where she can, she's got to um, bang the gong, or or he's got, yeah, she's got to, someone, who bangs the gong? Is it him? He's going to bang the, he's banged the gong about 15 times already by yeah. this point, but apparently this last one is significant yeah. because she shouts at him when he's about to bang it the last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I guess, would mean that they were uh, mated. Right. Yep. Yeah. No, that's it, man. Once, listen. Once he bangs that gong, <clears throat> she is his legal property. Yes. So she's like, "Nah, I can't do that. Um, I cha- I, I claim the right of a vengeance or something. She claims something. And they play million million nah game gonna ba game nah. <laughs> <coughs> what do they really do? Calif- Califier. 
Calafi. Yeah, Calafi. <laughs> um, she wants to do this other guy um, who looks like a Vulcan Adam Driver. Oh, all right. Hold on. I'm going to send you another screenshot. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, you know what? It'd be quicker if I just uh, copy and paste what I wrote. So I'll just copy a bunch of the... Anyway, this, she wants to do Vulcan Adam Driver real bad. And uh, so she, she's... Um, her plan is to make Spock fight to... Uh, hold on. I just got your message here. <laughs> Like that, we both immediately went. Adam Driver. It's for the dude sure. looks like Adam Driver. He's sure. tall and he's got a weird face. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make that guy my uh, my Twitter picture. Anyway, his name is Ston. Ston. Yeah. Okay. She wants to do Ston. We don't know that yet. She she just says she claims her right to the challenge or whatever. Now Spock has got to fight to the death for her, and she gets to pick who he fights against. So this is a really messed up system. Um, she chooses Kirk, who has been brought yep. down with McCoy to see this whole thing. Kirk's there to be his best man. Yeah, his weird uh, best man at this weird marriage ceremony. Um, Spock is, he begs T'Pau, who I guess is important for um, political reasons. She, I guess, turned down, the only person ever to turn down a seat on the Federation Council or whatever. Um, so he's like begging T'Pau, like, oh, don't make me kill my best friend. My best friend in the whole world. Jim. Don't make me kill Jim, because I, I, I will do it. Like, I'll do it. So don't make me do it. She's like, he, he doesn't know what I will, what I am willing to do. <clears throat> yeah, I'm willing to kill him to to fuck this to bring chick. Um, but she's like, yeah, too bad. And then Kirk also is like, yeah, okay, I'll go for it. And we will we will get into that. Um, Kirk's got bad motivations for this one. We'll talk about it in a minute. So they fight. Uh, McCoy pulls some shenanigans. Um, Spock appears to kill Kirk. So he gets to have T'Pring, but then he asks T'Pring, hey, what the hell happened there? And she goes, well, you know, I wanted to do this guy. And uh, so I made you fight your captain, figuring that if you win, you'd be mad at me about having to kill your friend so you'd get rid of me and I could be with Stan. Or um, if Kirk won, he wouldn't want me. Which, by the way, that's some bet. Yeah, it's a while. She doesn't know anything about Kirk, Kirk but maybe she's uh, being the ladies. racist about this in yeah, some way. She's like, he wouldn't want me, so then I could have Stan. Or even if you won and did want me, uh, you'd be far away, so I'd get Stan anyway. Um, so so he's like, all right, that's pretty logical. All right, hey, Stan, you can have her. And he goes up, and he's like, I'm going to resign my commission. I'm probably going to have to go to jail. And, and then Kirk uh, comes out of the, the sick bay because McCoy has just been playing a little medicine trick. And... Um, He's real excited to see Jim, and he bursts out and smiles and laughs, and then uh, they all have a good time, and the episode ends. Also, yeah. there's some stuff in there where Nurse Chapel's trying to fuck Spock. Dude. Also, the music goes... We will talk about that as well, but I really liked the slow version of that in earlier scenes, where yep. they were like laying the groundwork on that theme. Yep. And also a lot of great bass, scary bass music. In this episode. Yeah, for sure. They really went for atmosphere yeah. on Vulcan. What do you got? Okay. Um, beneath a thin veneer of civilization, we are all animals. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and what's that worth? Three points. Okay. Maybe you found something better in there. Well, here's what I found. 
real friendship means clubbing your buddy to death so you can marry his <laughs> wife. I mean, okay, it means doing whatever it takes, even risking your life. Uh, pretty saccharine. Uh, I gave it a four. Not, not troubled at all that that's only half the reason Kirk's going to do this. I honestly couldn't figure out why Kirk said yes to this fight. Because she, she tells him he doesn't have to do it. And that they will just pick someone else. She does. And then, right when she said that, I just started screaming at the TV, So just say no! Yes. <laughs> Make him fight somebody else! Now, Kirk says to McCoy <sighs> that McCoy told him he didn't think he could beat Stan. He didn't think Spock could stand a chance against Stan. Hmm. So that's the part that makes it seem like he's doing it out of love for Spock. However, he also does say, I don't think I can back down in front of T'Pau. <laughs> I missed that. I was sitting there wondering why he was doing this. It was to impress T'Pau? He says it out loud. He would be em- he would be embarrassed to go back on what he said in front of T'Pau. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, that changes a lot about how I view this episode. Because I was just wondering, but that's very bad. And also, when he finds out that it's a fight to the death, yeah. he does try to go back on it. <laughs> that's right. But it's too late at that point. He does immediately whip around and say, <laughs> you didn't say anything about a fight to the death. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And then she's just like, the challenge has been given, and then the dude shows up with his axe. Yeah. Okay. So, that's why I didn't think that's what this was about. Well. Awesome. <laughs> Alright, well, should I go to execution then, I guess? Yeah, let's talk about execution. Hmm. For whatever it's worth, because it's not a category, this episode was entertaining as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, um, that's not the problem with this episode. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Kirk and McCoy proved themselves to be Spork's, Spork's bestest ever pals by disobeying Starfleet orders and entering a fight to the death. We learned a lot about Spork and Vulcan, and overall it was a fascinating beginning to season two. I was even, in the end, kind of moved by Spock's jubilant expression when he saw yeah, that his it, friend Kirk lived. His friend well, Jay. of course, he's the only good actor on this show. Yeah. So when he has some acting to do, it usually comes off pretty well. But eh, the part where he was punching the monitor wasn't so good. <laughs> but the episode also didn't seem super well thought out. No. But I gave it a seven. Mm. I think this answers the question, what's the farthest apart we've ever been on an episode? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think this episode was actually meant to demonstrate anything. I think people just wanted to know more about Spock. Mm -hmm. I think another possible take is superior logic doesn't guarantee superior morality. Hmm. Because he admits that uh, his wife was very logical about the whole thing. Also, she's a straight up bitch. She really is like a real trifling bitch. Yeah, just just an absolute monster. Yeah. A couple of really, really big issues with this episode that hurt the execution score. None of this should have caught Spock by surprise, right? Well, okay, so here I had written down, is this the first time anyone has ever pulled this maneuver? Because if it is, because uh, if it's not, if someone's done this maneuver before, you should really not bring your best friends down. No, I don't even mean that. I mean... Oh, Ponfar. His Ponfar. Yeah, he didn't seem to have a plan for that, did he? 
No plan. Yeah, that's what I meant by this episode doesn't seem really that well thought out. <laughs> Next problem. If Vulcans don't have this compulsion to mate, unless they're in the Ponfar, how did T'Pring and Ston get together? Well, we know that shit ain't true, man. We know the Vulcans get down just to at well, will. Apparently, they're very nasty. Yeah. Because this dude is so into her that he has to he listens to her talk about this whole shit about how even if uh, Spock did want to marry her, she'd still have his land and his property. And, and there would still be Ston. <laughs> and he's just standing there like, yeah, that's right. I'm Ston. And he's just like, oh, no. I don't think Ston's supposed to be that great either. Yeah. Kylo. But it's like, what do they like about each other? One one thing. Like, have they been working together? Who? Yeah. Oh, yes. Hmm. Why is Anything. that happening? Yes. Anything not well thought it. out. Chekhov's brand new. I know. They've got a couple of little chatty scenes between him and Sulu on the bridge that are totally unearned and don't work. Yeah, but the, but you get the feeling that they are trying to show you that he's going to be around. Yeah, but it doesn't work any better than when <laughs> Obi-Wan and Anakin are riding in the elevator in Attack of the Claws. Explaining why they're like, best friends. That time I saved you from that nest of gundarks. On account of that event is why we're best friends. I've saved your life ten times. That other one didn't count. Yeah, that yeah. one on Ord Mandel doesn't count or whatever. Yeah, I know, dude. Game time Not, It doesn't work any better than that. I am old. <laughs> Outer space. <laughs> Please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, also, every single time they said the to each other. Uh. Which great. is not correct. That's not great. It's not grammatically correct. Yep. Uh, irrit- irritated the hell out of me. I gave it two points for execution. Well, we are pretty far off. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I was Let's... a little over-enthusiastic. I just thought it worked. Well, Ben is definitely way more on your side with this. So his take, uh, which is four points, is love is illogical. Mm. Mating Closer strips Vulcans yours. down to their hindbrain. Yeah. Chapel's love for Spock, which we didn't really talk about because it's very it's, sad. Uh, yeah, hard to watch. It's completely unrequited. When she's on the bridge and his wife calls, when she shows up on the bridge for no reason mm-hmm. just to be there when his wife calls. She appears to be monitoring the communication channels on the ship because she knows whenever anything happens. Like, she yeah. is spying on him. She's a stalker. Yeah. She fucking shows up, and then he says, that is my wife. And then they just show her dejected face for a second. And it's like, yeah, that sucks. She's, no, she is on Yeoman Rand level patheticness. But, but yes, that's where she I is. I used to have such lovely legs. I used to try to get you to look at my legs. Look at my legs, Captain. I wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> she's like, oh. <laughs> she's like, like, Chapel's <laughs> basically on that level. I wouldn't let you get away with one. Well, it's a, just on account of the captain. I wouldn't have said anything. It's very, very, very sad. Uh, Kirk's love for Spock is stronger even than his love for life and career. Again, watch that scene again. He has a definite career and face-saving motivation. I did. I swear to God, fight. I didn't even catch that. That it's bad. extremely poor. It really undercuts whatever that was trying to be. Yeah. Uh, but he gives it a seven for execution. Um, he, he thought that the showing Spock being out of character, he thought it was nice that they knew that that was worth having the high tension music, like that that's enough of a weird thing. Yeah. That just Spock's being weird. That's an episode. Like we got it. We're in. Yeah. I gotta say, you've talked me down. (laughs) 
I'll, How are you changing your score? I'll change my execution to a five because these are all very valid points. <laughs> still, the things I said I think still work, but the things you said definitely <laughs> also did not work. You're just trying to keep the difference under ten. No, I, I, I mean, one, I should have calculated the chapel horribleness into the overall execution, and I just didn't. I might have put it in characterization, but I didn't really factor it in at all. Just because well, I'm used to it, and then uh, I didn't even know that stuff about Kirk trying to impress Tabau. Again, we are continuing the very bad, problematic treatment of women in this show yeah. because it is definitely Tapau definitely announces to Tapring that she will become the property of the winner of this mm-hmm. challenge. Oh yeah, but then also she will have Spock's lands, and pr- I don't really understand how. It works. Yeah, only because he's not around. Also, by the way, Spock is part of the aristocracy. Thank you. So yeah, I was um let's enjoy that matthew i forget i'm first so then you know uh, it's going back I'm around to me i think i must be doing world, world building. building okay i think it must be me yes it is aldebar and shellmouths famously tight-lipped i know that about them now spock has been called the best first officer in the fleet yeah pon far everything about that yep uh going at warp eight requires a special request to engineering He's got to tell tell Scotty that they're gonna need to hit warp eight. Okay. Uh, Spock's from some kind of aristocracy. They uh, do like a Vulcan mind meld quinceanera when they're seven. Yeah, yeah. I thought mind melding uh, was bad and evil a hundred years ago. Oh, we haven't gotten to no, that we haven't gotten to that okay, yet. Sorry about that. Sorry. I think it is coming up fairly soon, though. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Chapau turned down a seat on the Federation Council. Hmm. Apparently it's a thing you offer to an individual and not something that you get by right of being in a Federation world. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Spock seems to expect he will be put to death for this fiasco, by the way. I thought you could only be put to death for visiting the wrong planet. It's the only death penalty left on the books, but is that true? Because she tells him to live long and prosper, and he says he will do neither. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether that meant he was going to kill himself. or if Maybe gonna he's going to straight up kill himself. I don't know. I don't know. Um, also, uh, in terms of world building, Enterprise wasn't the first show to ruin Vulcans. <laughs> Turns out it's true. Turns out it's TOS. Yeah. Turns out the second thing you knew about Vulcans was bad. Yeah. I gave it four points for world building, because I, I don't like what... I don't like this... I don't like anything about this Vulcan arranged marriage. None of it seems logical. And that's, I no. mean, maybe they're just a conflicted people full of contradictions. I don't know. but it And also they're just weird. like, it's the ancient rites. It's unchanged for thousands and thousands of they years. They make a point of like, saying that it is not changed. By the way, that's, that's a very anti-intellectual position. You know what? Let's just keep doing, we've just, let's just do what we always have done. But, you know, the Vulcans... Let's not analyze it or think about it in any way. The Vulcans are shown as being kind of anti-intellectual in Enterprise, too. Maybe this is them. Maybe that's Vulcan. Yeah. Well, if anything, it redeems the Enterprise portrayal of Vulcans. Oh, there you go. That's good. Uh, I don't know how to to sneak points back into Enterprise for that. (laughs) But I guess we'll keep it in mind when we see Vulcans in the future. Yeah. Uh, It would be great if there's a fucking... Like, there's a brief Nausicaan appearance in Season 7 of The Next Generation the that you don't remember, where you're just like... Super eloquent. Oh, yeah, those two that were on uh, Far Station Earhart were... Were just were dumb. Just dumb. They were real... Just, a, just real bad. <laughs> real bad news, dudes. 
Where did you land for world building here? Uh, headed for Altair 6, where the shore facilities are excellent. Yep. According to Kirk. Um, they're going for a presidential inauguration. McCoy's biocomps. Aldebaran Shellmouth, you mentioned all the Pon Far stuff. Spork is now a Vulcan and not a Vulcanian. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Altair system recently had some kind of long interplanetary conflict. Marriage on Vulcan and that whole ceremony. <clears throat> Tapau was the first to turn down a seat on the Federation Council. Uh, whatever weird blood doping or, or whatever the fuck McCoy did on Kirk. Um, learned a lot about things that seem likely to come back in the future. Not... I always award points for like a greater understanding of the main characters and their cultures, and this was just all about Spork. Um, yep. So I gave it as much as a six. Okay. I mean, again, I gave it a four. It's not like we're crazy far apart on this one. Yeah. It's just... Um, I didn't necessarily like it, but I do get the feeling this is going to stick around, This all this stuff. Um, Ben's pick of the week... Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Vulcan edition. I did. I forgot that I was going to extend that That's clip. That's okay. <laughs> uh, ben gave it an eight for characterization. Oh, okay. Uh, he says, Chekhov doesn't count yet. Uh, no wonder Spock's not a captain. Isn't this like the third time he's commandeered the Enterprise? Yeah, he has a kind of a data problem. He does a little bit like Data. He can go off. Oh the shit! Rails. Does that redeem that behavior in Data? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. No, it because they're not. just because just trying to mirror what happened with Spock is not good characterization. No, Kirk's a manipulative son of a bitch. He knows that leveraging Spock's sense of duty will get him to talk. Another good instance of Kirk acknowledging how important Spock is to him, even more than uh, his career. Although I think that. Though again, just think about it. Apparently, Ben and I t- both missed that. Uh, the decor in Spock's room is unusual. A lot of weapons and blood-red drapery. Odd, considering a Vulcan's disdain for trivial decoration. Although we do find out many times that the Vulcans are deeply spiritual. It's... They're, they are full of... It's anger. infuriating. Don't yeah, worry about full it. of infuriating contradictions. The scene with Nurse Chapel shows that even when Spock is totally out of his gourd, he's much more of a gentleman than Kirk is any day. <laughs> That's true. Uh, he did seem right about to fuck her. Oh, we didn't told, talk about that, he right? He told her uh, that why why uh, deny our, our nature Their natures. Or, or whatever. Yeah. And that definitely seems like they're going to fuck. And she was making all the sad Yeoman Rand faces and expressions. Yep. Anyway, so that's why he gave it an eight. That's because of that. Yeah, what did you give it? Mm. Was it more than an eight? I gave it a seven. Oh! Spork. Spork's nervous and fasting. Uh-oh, dog. Uh, he also wants to break McCoy's neck, throw soup at Chapel, and yells at Kirk unit. It's hard to measure all this stuff because he's he's having a pubes incident. Because it's time for pubes, friends. That's right. Um, He also has some real weird things to say about women playing servant to a man who's not hers. Yeah, that ain't great, huh? That sounds like some cult shit. Um, He wants Kirk and McCoy to come down as his bizarro groomsmen. Spork is married. He's also a legend at home, we find out. Not just that he is, uh, like, royalty or whatever. He is a fucking legend. Yeah. By the way, um, that that is a fun little scene because she really betrays uh, her understanding of how her status relates to Stans. Because she says that she found she did not want to be the consort of a legend. Yeah, she wants to... And then about ten seconds later, she says Stan would be her consort. That's right. The dude is standing right there. Yeah. <laughs> 
just with this big dumb Adam Driver face, just standing <laughs> there watching this whole thing. Uh oh. Uh, McCoy blows up Nurse Chapel's spot and tells the captain she wants to bang Spork. He uses logic against a very weary Spork to get him to comply with his medical requests. McCoy does his best to come up with some good cheats to get out of this fight. He he plays some cheat codes on Kurt. I mean, he only had the stuff he brought with him, yeah. but they definitely did a code of honor on this scenario here. Yeah. Chapel does indeed want to do a nefarious nasty with Spork. My name is Christine. Relax, lady. Yeah, for sure. Kirk's love for Spork compels him to turn the whole ship around on account of his tantrum. And he even thinks of turning the ship around and putting Enterprise behind schedule, but, you know, Kirk can't have people going over his head, so he gets real mad when he finds out Spock already made their <laughs> navigation change. He's not excited about that, for sure. In terms of character work, it's hard to evaluate Spork, who's crazed by lust and violence, but everyone else does a lot of, like, let's be best friends work, and I didn't hate it. I'm actually going to drop it to a six, though. All right. Let me make that minor correction. Um, I only gave it three. Okay. So, the big problem with this episode for me is Spock's terrible refusal to say this is a sex thing. Yeah. It's not logical. Well, that's what the Vulcans do a lot of the time. That's all I'm going to say about it is like, you would think the Vulcans would be pretty frank about something as basic to all creatures in the universe, nearly all creatures in the universe, as sexuality. Yeah. Or as reproduction. But he right? is deeply ashamed to talk about it. It is a thing that the Vulcans don't talk about among themselves. They Basically, they treat it like they're always in the men's room. <laughs> yep. When it comes to this subject. They don't even make eye contact about it. All right. Which does not explain how he knows the ceremony. Yeah. I guess they're well prepared for that one aspect. Right. He probably had to go to a bunch of his buddies' ceremonies in his 20s, you know. Anyway, the episode would be a lot better if they didn't have to spend the first 20 minutes fighting to get the answer out of him. Maybe a slightly less suspenseful, but there, if the problem is already that Kirk's going to have to violate orders to go to Vulcan, we don't need all of this. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, uh, he refuses to tell them so that the episode can be 50 minutes. So if they put that characterization in there, like if they put it in there because they wanted Spock to be private, that's bad characterization, I think. Yeah. If they put that in there, see, the only way this would be acceptable is if Spock didn't want to talk about it because he felt like he wasn't doing as good a job controlling it as a full Vulcan would do. Mm, yeah, he had some um, biracial angst. Then it would be characterization. All right. I think it's just, I think it's bad work done there. Okay. And um, I thought it was odd and unlike what we've seen of Kirk so far to be so starstruck by T'Pau. Like, this guy's not a guy who's impressed by admirals. Admirals or ambassadors or whatever. Ambassadors. Certainly not Commodores. <laughs> rulers of uh, alien planets, Definitely for sure. Not. No, he'll tell them their business all day. Yeah, well, for sure not a Commodore. But, but even Admiral Comac, he's not so... For um, some reason, T'Pau does. He's like, do you know who that is? That's Tapau. That's Tapau. I don't want to look bad in front of Tapau. I don't know. Maybe he used to crank it to her when she was to younger. Tapau. I don't know. Uh... Dog, she's never been young in her <laughs> I lifetime. Know. I know. She's f 300 Vulcan years old or something. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm surprised that Enterprise didn't make T'Pau one of the shipmates, shipmates on that crashed ship instead of the bowl cut guy who didn't <laughs> do anything. Should have been T'Pau. Yeah. Um, I did like the acknowledgement that Spock likes McCoy because there's no other reason for him to say, I'd like McCoy to go down there with me too. Yeah. Like, that's that's the nice bit of character work here. And uh, again, I think they're premature on Sulu and Chekhov being buddies. Well, I think that, yeah, they just, they had to find a way to introduce us to Chekhov and they're like, oh, it's Sulu's buddy, Chekhov. Yep. <laughs> you know, you know Sulu, the guy who's there about a third of the time. I'd like to introduce you to Chekhov. He's his friend of Sulu's. By the way, you remember Sulu. He does fencing and he <laughs> waters the plants. Sometimes. It's not really clear. He smiles about murder. <laughs> you know him. <laughs> You remember Sulu? He is of the body. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I had it at a three for characterization. Three. Three might be harsh. Well, I think this might be a four. I think it might be a four. It is however you feel about it. I know that when I thought about it again and read the things that I wrote, I went, that doesn't quite sound like a seven. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a seven. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got for um, the quick hitters? Uh, is this the origin of Christine Chapel's crush on Spock? I, I felt like I don't, couldn't remember if we'd seen it once before because she's barely been in it. I think in, or, in other episodes she's been concerned with him. Yeah. Or if I just remembered that it is a character trait of hers. Hmm. I couldn't actually remember. Yeah, I don't know for sure. We got the new theme music. Which I also had skipped, so I didn't realize. Pretty sure this is the first look at Spock's quarters. I think so too. I didn't even realize where they were for a second. I was like, "Oh, those are." Just, those are just He's got some kind of uh, bear lion holding a glowing geode in there. <laughs> it's uh, he's got like a, it's a weird tiki statue in the back. It's it's fun. It's art. First Chekhov, of course. Well, you know when Valeris is in his quarters, she asks him why he even bothers with art. You yeah, know? that's true. He tells her that the one painting is a reminder that all things end. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, Spock's harp is out of tune. He destroys that monitor. That bad paper mache monitor. That's right. Well, it hadn't been working for weeks because it was made of paper mache and he'd had enough. That's going to have to come out of his paycheck. He'll probably have to rebuild it himself with paper mache. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I thought it was fucking cold as ice of Spock to uh, ask that lady to make him soup when his wife is waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> And that they he can't knows deny the deal? nature, dude. Uh, oh, whoops. This lady will become property of the victor. Yeah, we talked about that. Hey, uh, Tapal's got a pretty cool walking stick for a lady that gets carried around in a sedan chair all the time. Yeah, why does she need that? It's a four. It's like one of the many episodes of Running Man where they have the princess challenge and they have to uh, make their arms into a, a carriage and carry the yes. lady guest around. Um, by the way, what week was the Outrageous Akana? Was that last week? I think that was the last one we did. Okay, so we were wrong about who should have read what. Oh, no, no, we were right. I was mad last week that I didn't get to read the Outrageous Okana because I didn't get to say B.G. Robinson and uh, <laughs> Diana Giddings yeah. a bunch of times. I was mad this week that when you read the uh, Amok Time, you didn't talk about the Lirpa or the Anwoon. <laughs> but I did write in my quick hitters. Um, that I loved that they didn't even bother to polish the angle grinder marks out of the Lerpa. You know, I'll make a, <coughs> a deal with you. <coughs> Choking on my own saliva. 
Uh, I can change the order if there's one I want to read. I mean, you can just read all of them if you want. I always just <laughs> no, come up with take them on twice the fly. as long. <laughs> it takes so much longer. Right. But you can let me know in um, advance if there's one that you want to read. That's fine. In this fight, real question, in this fight, mm. are these the worst stunt doubles we've seen yet? They're very bad, but no, because the time they were fighting in engineering with the engineering tubes, I <laughs> literally thought we were seeing a different person come into the room and fight. I thought a third you, character had entered. You're talking about in Court Martial, right? Yes. I thought When they were in a, the same color uniform so you couldn't parse the scene correctly? I thought a third different person had entered the room and was like a, like a security <laughs> guy or something was like entering the room and fighting. And I was like, oh, no, wait, that's supposed to be Kirk. <laughs> like, it was really baffling to me. So I think that one's still the worst. Okay, pretty bad, though, right? Yeah, this was very, these were terrible. <laughs> I guess um, since they were swinging things at each other, they felt the need to really bust out the stunt doubles. And then my last observation was, unlike in the episode Code of Honor, probably everyone is totally fine that Kirk's death was faked here, right? Yeah. Like, even Tapao is probably like, probably better yeah, that way. this was a real shit show, and we don't need that anyone got killed as part of it. It'd be bad press, for sure. I mean, they don't want anyone I mean, to even know about this ceremony. It'd be hard to explain how Kirk died. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm sure it doesn't matter one way or the other to Tapring or Stan. Because they are uh, sociopaths? They're both sociopaths. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, probably no one cares about that. Uh, before we get to your quick hitters, of which I'm sure there are many, mm. I gave uh, Best Actor to, what am I supposed to do with this on Woon Kirk? Because he does hold it up and give it a look like, huh? <laughs> is, this, is this the thing? Huh? Yeah. And uh, Worst Actor to Stan. He only has about three lines, but they're not good. Yeah. Adam Driver would have done I was better. supposed to challenge. Adam Driver would have been a hundred times better. He's creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you have for uh, dangle quick hitters? I was loving the music and the scene in Spork's quarters. Some beat beat Nicky ass bass music. Uh, yeah, Admiral K- Kovac. Kovac? Is that his name? Komac. Komac. Yeah, there's another one of the admirals that's going to be completely disregarded by Kirk. Uh, oh, hey, Chekhov. They gave him some jokes so you know he was worth having around. Uh, Spork has been called the best first officer in the fleet. Which is a weird thing to say. That's like saying, come to Strega, which some people say is the best Italian food in the city. <laughs> which was a real commercial that used to run in Boston all the time. And every time it ran, I'd go, who? Who said it? I'd like to know. It's it helps important. me evaluate whether I should go there or I don't not. know who said it, so I don't know what to do with it. Come to Strega, which some people say is the best Italian food in the city. That's what some people say about Spock. Um... Then they have the slow build version of the iconic fight music during Spock's revelation about Ponfar. Uh, how did Chapel hear Kirk's message to the bridge that they were returning to Vulcan? She's fucking eavesdropping. Spork wants Kirk to be his Chadich. He does. And McCoy to be his Chadich's Chadich. Yeah, they don't have a word for that in the next generation. No. His Chachadich, I'd like to say. <laughs> Chachadich Deech. No offense, Christine, but Tapring is hotter. Oh, did you think so? I thought she had a weird nose. She was hotter than Christine Chapel. That's all I'm saying. I mean, yeah, I don't think that Majel Barrett is particularly hot. She's not a hot piece, but um, I did not like Tapring. Uh, so is Spork a prince like Worf? We're pretty sure. Something yeah, like basically, that. right? His family, this huge, they go to the huge death arena. 
that's on like a huge stone pillar in the middle of Spock's family's ancestral land that they've held yep. for at least 2,000 years. And his officiant is T'Pau the Great. That's right. T'Pau shows up to do his wedding. Yeah. Uh, then they play the Million Million Na game. Game Kanaba? Game Na. Game Na. Um, hey, um, hey, one question. Sorry. I thought the Vulcans were guided by logic. Yeah. We can just move on. This lady, yep. this lady chose Vulcan Adam Driver as her mate. I mean, okay, there's no accounting for taste. Nimoy's pretty weird looking himself. So it's not like... I mean, it's true. It's not he's like got a weird, some kind of uh, He's not the most handsome man, for sure. Yeah. But a lot of it's hair. A lot of it's bad hair, I think. <laughs> I don't really... Somebody talked about this. I don't, what would happen if Kirk refused? Someone else would be selected, so just do that. And yeah. then if Kirk wins, he's like married to T'Pring? Uh, well, she's his property for sure. I don't know that he has to marry her. Also, if this is legally binding off Vulcan. It just it just all seemed like you really needed to decline that challenge, but I didn't know he was trying to impress what's-her-name. I bet on tiny black and white TV, on bl- tiny black and white TVs, these um, camera angles they were using were mad creepy. <laughs> they were like, uh, they kept twisting all around and kind of vibrating. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's Kirk's ripped shirt. He has to have it and everything. Uh, yeah, bad stunt doubles. Uh, and then again, was T'Pring the first ever to pull this trick? Um, T'Pau did pull strings for the Enterprise. And, like, that is true. Especially requested their presence, which got them off the hook with Admiral whatever. She did get them off the hook. Uh, so T'Pau's a stand-up and dude. I, I bet that's she just just absolutely did not want yep. Kirk to write a report about this. <laughs> this is very important that this... She's like, A, we're not proud of this. Yeah. B, this particularly went badly. When you come down here, we will talk about how it has never changed and it never will change and will seem like we're really proud of it, but we are actually very ashamed. We're super ashamed of this. The has brought out Wolverine yeah. to our sacred ceremony? What the hell is the doing? Um... That's all I got. That's it. That's the whole thing. Let's uh, just make sure Ben didn't have anything in his quick hitters. Uh, no, that rock bridge. He asked if the rock bridge was in the original televised version. No, it was Babylon 5 CGI. <laughs> Where they rock walk across that bridge to that arena. Yep. They were not capable of that in the 60s. Do, 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 he does do, mention do, the Spock stand in being a big burly guy. And I also noticed that McCoy and Kirk beam up off screen. Yeah. So I guess they didn't want to do the thing where everybody freezes and then they do the effect shot. Probably having to build that arena and the weapons and stuff was a little pricey. You mean like how everyone has to freeze before they get shot by a phaser? Yeah, kind of. Just make it easy. Make it easy for the special effects people. Yep. I think it's not even a matter of making it easy. I think it's a matter of making it possible. Yeah. Uh... Landrew has done the computations. All right, it doesn't so. feel like it was a good week. Well, coming in at number five, worst episode of the week, Ooh. we have Threshold with a total of 16 points. When I knew it was coming up, I was not surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised based on, on how I originally felt about that episode. And just ahead of it at number four with a total of 17 points, mm. A Night in Sick Bay. Those two episodes are both bottom 10% episodes, they but neither bad. of them is bottom 1%. Yeah. So very bad. 
Uh, at number three this week in the middle is Rivals with a score of 21 points. Now, Matthew, I gave it zero in the top half. <laughs> and it's world number building, three man. this week. That's because look at its world building score. It is. It got a world building of 12. Which puts it? Which is top 10%. Top 10% in world building. They tried to do something that I hate. Maybe I should have scored it less. I don't know. <laughs> Yet luck is real. Andy. Number two this week with a score of 32 points is loud as a whisper. Hmm. So it just loses the week. It was my week winner. Actually did fine in every category but world building. World building was kind of the letdown here. They don't attempt any of it. Yeah. It's not just they didn't go for it. And uh, number one this week, the 15th win for the original series goes to a muck time. With a score of 34, which is not very good. low for a winner. It's low for a winner. It is below the TOS average, yeah. which is over 36. So to win the week with a below average episode, and that's, a, by the way, that's after that 34. I probably wouldn't have changed much right at 34. Every single show was below its average this week. Yes, it was a below average week. For me, it was particularly bad. Mm. Uh, my average this week was 10.4, which is bottom 1%. Oh. It is a tie with uh, with week 27, oh, but week 27 one. will remain our worst overall week. Because I hated it even more, <laughs> or I hated it almost you, as much. You ha- you, that week, your average was 11, whereas this week, you were all the way up at 13.6, which is only bottom 10%. Yeah. So I had it bottom 1%, worst week ever. You had it bottom 10%. Mm-hmm. The only um, the only above average score for the week was world building, where we uh, gave it an average of seven point four. Again, because of which the is, one episode, really, which is just over the line, right? That's the uh, that's essentially just means it's over the fiftieth percentile marker, right? And uh, execution of four point four. Oof. That's the combined execution average. <laughs> so that counts both of our scores. <laughs> Not we each gave it an average of 4.4. 4. Mm. I cannot make this clear enough. I know, right. Uh, that's the worst that a week has ever been for execution. Yeah. So that was dragging it down. But again, the only above average score was the world building at 7.4. So very bad week. An average of 24 points. Yeah. As compared to the total average of all shows which is uh 31.7 is the episode average for uh for the entire run so far yeah, so again, seven points below average the only one that's been worse was that week 27 or whatever that's right so week 30 was a real stinker yep and again there have been a lot of those lately last week was a good week but a lot of the last few weeks have been not not so good yeah we're kind of in a dip, yeah. and when we're the series is done, and we can compare these scores like on a rotating, you know, like look at a five week average or something as it rotates through the, uh, through the run. This I think is going to look like a pretty bad dip. Yeah. Next week. Yeah, there's good news though, right? Like next week's the good episodes. Here's what we're watching. I don't know. Who mourns for Adonais? I don't remember which one that is. Oh, the god Apollo shows up and fucks with the Enterprise. <sighs> is he going like, to skits- put him on trial? or? Well, we'll see. Right. I don't remember this one. I don't remember it being one of the better ones. Okay. 
we have the schizoid man. Oh, fuck. God damn it. A deranged computer scientist puts his brain into data. So, so we get a lot of good spinery acting. It's really going to be good. We do get to see Dr. Salar. Well, I don't know. Imagine that's going to score a lot, but maybe maybe that'll help. In one of one of that actress's four roles in Star Trek. Yep. Uh, we have the alternate. Don't know. I don't know what that is. Uh, I think it's about uh, O'Brien comes off the bench for the racquetball team. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> for Voyager, we're watching Meld. That's not good. So some Vulcan stuff hey, for Tuvok. sure is going to be happening there. So we're going to get some Tuvix. Great, he's my favorite. And for Enterprise, Marauders. Now, my hope for this is that maybe it'll be like that episode about the uh, cargo ship. Okay. Where the parts that were about the cargo ship crew and not about Enterprise were better. <laughs> That's right. Yep. That's the possibility that we're holding out hope for. Oh, no. That's what we're watching in week 31. I gotta say, I have no excitement about that. Uh, it's gonna be it hard to watch. It's not exciting. The first two are not exciting. <clears throat> I don't know what the alternate is, and I'm not excited about the prospect of Meld. Yeah. So it could be a rough week, yeah. um, but you have two weeks to watch those and uh, send us your notes. And we'll do this all again. Yeah, uh, just to, I don't know if you already said, the original series is up to its 15th win. It is, and that is 50% now. One half of all episodes have been won by the original series. You know, by numbers, it's uh, two points ahead of The Next Generation. The Next Generation is four points ahead of Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine's basically got a full point on Enterprise, and Enterprise is a point and a half over Voyager these days. Yep. And Voyager scored lowest again this week, so it did not help itself. Thank you to Ben for playing again. Um, he usually gets his notes in before I've finished watching the episodes, so he's ahead of the game. He got him in before I finished this week, too, so he yeah. was prepared. Anyone else wants to play? Um, you know how it works. Watch the episodes we just described. Um, anybody has anything to send us? we got a mailbag next week, so you can tweet us at BrotherDate. You can go to BrotherDate.com. You can go to the iTunes, however you want to um, get these wonderful Uh, nuggets of art and um, we will do this again soon uh oh that's like getting uh, the guy who played Kosan Larry to to play someone just out of college I mean yeah kind of you just go wait 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 wait